Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 30 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. A decade ago, Silicon Knights, then perhaps best known for PlayStation action-adventure Blood Omen Legacy of Kane, delivered one of the GameCube's first mature games for Nintendo. An ambitious, multi-character, history-spanning survival horror game which was met with great critical acclaim but did not do so well at retail. We've all completed the game and are keen to share our findings and newly engendered psychoses with you. My name's Leon Cox and joining me on this issue, Tony Atkins. Hello. Darren Gargett. Hola. And Carl Moon. What's up, guys? Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem, started life as a uh, an N64 game. I, I was only reminded this of, of this recently. I'd forgotten this at the time. And, uh, yeah, I suppose it does have certain traits that you could imagine having been on that system. Um, perhaps it's a bit lacking in sort of special effects and stuff like that in terms of really... Not lens flare. It's got lens flare, very obvious lens flare, but then so did Turok Dinosaur Hunter, didn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, without without going in and spoiling what I thought of the graphics. Now, I bought this in about 2003 or four, but this was my first playthrough. Um, Carl, I believe you also picked this up nearer the time. Yeah, I picked it up about maybe a year after uh, after release. I was busy on other titles at the time, came back yeah. to it when I really sort of fell in love with my GameCube a bit more, mm. went through it then. Famously, it didn't do well commercially, as I mentioned in the intro there. I think the total sales are less than 200,000 copies, mm. which featured, uh, featured that included less than 20,000 in Japan, uh, so it did rather better in the West. Um, yeah, but for a, a Western game in Japan, that's not necessarily saying anything particularly. I mean, you could say no. oh, it's a bit like Resident Evil, so maybe it should have done well yeah yeah it was sort of survival horror it had some uh interesting sort of um western ideas and obviously it's kind of based on a, a western mythos uh, as we'll get into um, I, I reckon i've owned this game this must be the fourth time i've picked up a copy oh really um and, and only ever played the first you know 15 20 minutes of it and then yeah they, i've done that several on. times over yeah. the years so this was this was my excuse this was my excuse for setting up Kane well, and Rince. Yeah, well, and it, it's one of those games which is what's critically acclaimed. It's always in the you know the must-play games of GameCube. It's, it's one of those ones. It's like oh, yeah. you know you have to play Eternal Darkness. So uh, I know when it was suggested on the list, we're like, yes, we're gonna you're finally gonna do Eternal Darkness. It's you know I've yeah. owned this multiple times. It, you know now is the right time. What twelve, 12 years? Ten years later. Ten years. Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Ten years yeah, it's after a decade old. It was uh, it was going to be even though it was um, in development on the uh, N64. 
uh, it, it could have been and was planned to be a, um, a GameCube launch game. Nintendo actually published this. But uh, apparently it had to go through some late changes um, and then was delayed again due to 9-11 because more of the game was set in the Middle East. Um, one of the chapters is set in the first Gulf War. Uh, and so they needed to make sort of political changes. To, so it was delayed to the, towards the end of the year. It came out in uh, actually it came out in June in no yeah June in November. So that was obviously six seven months after nine eleven mm. uh, in in North America. Sorry, and uh, Japan got it in October and Europe and Australia in November. So uh, that was a few months after the the console had actually launched. Darren, what about you? Uh, is this your first time with the game? No, this is my second playthrough of Eternal Darkness. Uh, I was there day one as an importer. Oh. I had my GameCube. and uh, Should have started with you. Uh, um, I remember watching this at E3, like I did with Luigi Mansion. I remember Nintendo promoting this alongside Two Human, which is now an, uh, an Xbox 360 game. And this was mm. like, this is what Silicon Knights are all about. And they were like, they were, they were showing you the serious side of the GameCube and how Nintendo were going to breach into a new mature market. Yeah. Conkers? Well, yeah, they, they they've been flirting they've been flirting with this for a while because they did have I mean it was the 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 tipping point was when they allowed uh, Mortal Kombat 2 uncensored onto the mm. SNES, wasn't it? But after that they did have various sort of more adult games. Resident Evil 2 made it over to the N64 and I always thought Conker's Bad Fur Day was a pretty big push <laughs> as well cause... Not well, that. yeah, but Nintendo actually refused to distribute that, yeah, didn't they? they? in the end. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, certainly there had been, sh- you know, Shadow Man and various other sort of, yeah, and Turok, you know, which had its gory deaths in and stuff. So, this was a few years into Nintendo embracing the 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 gory gaming market. Yeah, and I just I remember being totally excited for um, what they were showing with the insanity effects. You see, you see a few at E3 that you saw a few of. You know of what happens, and uh, I was mm. I was sold immediately, and I've been meaning to play it since since that week it came out because it's just been one of those games that's always been on my mind. As does it stand up, and well, I, I guess we'll find out. Mm. Yeah, the uh, the sanity or insanity effects remain the USP. Obviously, we will we will talk extensively about those. Um, did anyone like when people talk about Silicon Knights now? People go, "Oh, that Dennis Diet because of his sort of infamous outburst about what was it?" 2008 about about that was uh, that was about too human and the response that that it was met with um he came out and sort of fought his corner about why the game was how it was and and all this sort of stuff but back in 2002 like i was i never played uh, blood omen legacy of Cain, but it was a it was a well liked mm-hmm. game for the for the ps1 um they also worked on dark legions and fantasy empires on pc which I believe had their following, but this was this was perhaps their second sort of big title, and uh, this came before the Twin Snakes, which obviously we co- covered recently. Um, was it was anyone a Blood Omen Legacy of Kane Man? I know it was big, bigger in America than it was in the UK. No, I never really saw the appeal to it. To be honest, um, it was uh, it wasn't my kind of game. It sort of you know it's all about vampires and stuff, and I'm not I'm not really into all that. Um, the only mm-hmm. the only Legacy of game is um, Legacy of Kane game. Sorry, is is Soul Reaver. That's the only one I've ever played. Yeah, which became a sort of uh, a series in its own right, even though it was the sort of the next yeah legacy of yeah. Kane, whatever. And the same with yeah, Darren. I, pick, I picked up Blood Omen uh, when that came uh-huh. out, and uh, I, I sort of saw the appeal, but it just wasn't for me. I put maybe a, an hour, an hour and a half into it, and just sort of left it to the side. But I can understand why, you know, it was it had quite a cult following with some people. Mm. 
So the game, when you boot it up, and it, God, don't, don't they load fast, these GameCube games? <laughs> you turn the console on, it's like before you even sync the TV, the, the, the do you want to run it in 60 hertz screen is there. Mm. Uh, it greets you with an Edgar Allan Poe quote, um, which is quite appropriate, as he was a massive influence on H.P. Lovecraft, who, to all intents and purposes, this, this is a, an unofficial Cthulhu game. It features similar kind of names for the... Um, antagonists the ancients the and, and similar sort of designs to that which he described as often as indescribable famously a, a terribly poor writer in terms of prose lovecraft but a, a phenomenal imagination the the book of eternal darkness is the necronomicon by another name um the the idea of the the, the sort of many eyeballed tentaculous gods and things there this is all pure Lovecraft, really. Um, I'm, I've read some. I've read a collection of Lovecraft, and I did used to play the the uh, the actual role playing game with a, a a friend of mine who who sort of ga- games mastered it in a very cinematic style, and um, so I did learn a certain amount about the mythos there. But this has a lot in common. There have been um there have been a few official Cthulhu games. There was uh, Dark Corners of the Earth, which came out in two thousand five. Um, I gather the Xbox version of that is actually broken so that you can't complete it, but the PC <laughs> version is very interesting. Also features a, a sort of sanity meter and sort of a f- sanity effects and things like that. There was Prisoner of Ice. Anyone remember that by Infograms? Mid-90s uh, sort of sort of point-and-click adventure set around Antarctica. That was a sort of... That was an official Lovecraft game. Um, but other games have been influenced. Um, Alone in the Dark... Anyone think of any others? Lovecraftian style games? I know there was an influence in Alan Wake by Lovecraft. There was a few references. Yeah, Uh, Alan Wake, yeah. Quite quite mild. Um, So the first first thing that struck me on booting Eternal Darkness was the fact that, yes, first it offers 60 hertz, which was not uh, completely... It was was increasingly common at this point. Dreamcast games had had done it for a while, and... um, this was, of course, the end of the Dreamcast's time, but uh, not every GameCube game did, and this one did. And it also uh, supports Dolby Pro Logic 2 surround sound and mm. and widescreen 16 uh, to 9 ratio, which was again the, like these three. None of these three things were unheard of, but to have them all there, like out of the box straight away, that 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 was impressive for 10 years ago. And I, th- I think it helps in terms of playing the game through again now. Kind of. Um, I was playing the American version, so it sort of runs at a, a decent frame rate anyway. So when oh. I didn't choose the progressive scan mode, I, I honestly couldn't really tell the difference. Um, there, was, okay. there was a little bit of granular filtering and it, it looked a bit better, but otherwise I just couldn't really tell the difference. I certainly think the widescreen stuff helped massively. <laughs> certainly on, you know, on the TVs that we're running on now, which you know we're so used to running everything you know in, in pristine HD in widescreen everything formatted mm. even 5.1 or 7.1 in some cases mm. that to actually yeah and quite often we forget that that wasn't a reality back then and and when it's put in almost like right in your face right at the very start it's like oh I have to select this stuff okay fair yeah. enough yeah. Um, yeah so I, I you know I, I, as, as I didn't play it back then um, well enough to it, I have no influences on, on how I approached it but now it was yeah at least it has this stuff at least it's going to be formatted right on the tv and i don't have to do some you know either play it in 4.3 or, or some janky kind of screen fit process to make it look half decent and of course it shows up as well that it's widescreen because a lot of the cutscenes are only 4.3 yeah 
Yeah. And immediately it puts you straight back in the game and it's it's widescreen. You're like, oh, wow. And that that's when it sort of becomes a realisation now that whilst widescreen is obviously common, yeah, they... back then it was it was so rare and you think, mm-hmm. well, I couldn't imagine playing it through in four. They didn't have so. the budget or whatever to double format the FMV sequences, which are not massively impressive, would it be fair to say? And compressed yeah. to hell as well. Absolutely, yeah. Very grainy. Looking back at them now, the, the darkness is coming loading screen. It reminds me of like old 3DO um, like video games where... You, oh. like, you know, like actual video Gosh, games yeah. where like it would be like a pre-rendered skeleton, like nightmare style, coming towards you. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. everything you saw on the CDI, yeah, everything, mm. awful. And it is, it is impressive that they've managed to fit. I mean, it's a fairly sizable game in terms yeah, of darkness, it is, and, yeah. you know, and that tiny small GameCube disc. Yes, yeah. you know, they've done well to get it all on there. I would imagine. Well, imagine there is a video, by the way, for people who are interested, of the uh, never released N64 version. Um, uh, you can view it on YouTube or at Unseen 64. Um, and uh, you can see there's a lot of the similar stuff is, is is there. The I think the bit you see is the uh, is the monk Paul Luther, um, and the the actual sequence that he goes through is very similar. Um, and we may as well sort of may as well go straight in there and talk about the graphics before we crack on with with the adventure. Um, I think they do betray their previous gen to this roots uh, quite a lot, and I have to say that I don't think the game in terms of looks has aged well at all and it did damage my immersion because I, I think by and large although just about functional the, the graphics are pretty pretty dull and not impressive. I'm glad you said that because the, the opening the intro where you see, uh, is it Alexandra Rovers? I've forgotten the character's name already. Alex, the, the, yeah. Yeah, the granddaughter. She, mm-hmm. she looks quite alright for the GameCube era. It looks like, she, she looks like a human and then the, the policeman comes up <laughs> he's just got the worst graphics on his face ever. I just, yeah. I had to like stop the game, just pause it right there, and make a little mental note of that because I just thought I can't believe like games back then looked like this. Well, I think I think definitely, especially like the magical effects and stuff, which are all okay, but they mm. do. If if you again, if you look at that N sixty four abandoned beta or whatever it was, alpha maybe pre alpha probably, um, a lot of those special effects look very N sixty four esque, and I think there's a lack of geometry in the in the environments and stuff that yeah. betrays it. I was going to say that I think I think the, the, for me the graphics were functional. They 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 you know they top the story and that was that. But um, I think there's a lot of leftover N sixty four era stuff, such as you know the corridors, very tight corridors, uh, very blocky areas. Um, the mansion could have easily been you know come out of Resident Evil for sure. Yeah. But um, there's other sections certainly. Back towards the the right end of the, towards the game, um, where you're looking over the city, uh, where it's got some re- it's got some really interesting camera pan angles and stuff, and you it's know, got that. some pre-rendered, uh, pre-drawn sort of almost Final Fantasy VII style backdrops yeah. in there for the for the for the ancient city, hasn't it? No, it's just that some of the magical effects are actually you know decent, but um, yeah, it, it definitely feels like it is something that's been ported over from the N64 at some point, uh, and then kind of reworked for a new generation of console. Mm. I find it quite interesting that. It's three quite negative views on the graphics of the game. I personally didn't think they were that bad. Cool. I thought I thought they held up a lot better than some other games I've gone back to from that generation. Okay. Um, you know, we we've covered obviously in the Luigi's Mansion game that that style of graphics helps it. Mm-hmm. This was obviously a more realistic. The only things I had that really made it impact into play in a negative way were, first of all, the faces were quite poor. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a strange complaint, but my problem was the arms. 
the character's arms were just awful. In in and play it, or in cutscene? In in all the cutscenes. Right. I could not take my attention away from just the the texture that was used, the geometry that it was made with was so poor it reminds me of of Turok, actually. In that right. same very solid, almost overly built forearms way. Uh, even on Alex Roivas, she has like, the weirdest geometry. And model-wise, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but she was clearly modelled on Buffy, uh, the Vampire Slayer at the time. Okay, right. Yeah. So, but, um, that, that's what I found as a negative. There was there was some positive things like you would you would have the geometry of like the heads would follow you around when you tracked, and the animation on those were really nice. And some nice little touches. Yeah, I, th- I found overall the character animations a little stiff, but they but the characters were responsive to control, and that's more important. I really appreciate the fact that when you're reloading your gun and you're about to get attacked by a zombie and stuff, you could break out of any animation. Yeah, and, uh, and run away. That's a real handy sort of. Um, Although mechanically, the the fact that if you did move at all while casting say a regen health spell mm. and that would you'd still lose your magic but you wouldn't get the health boost that that was frustrating that's a, but it also that's a risk reward isn't it it did also add some tension and, and mm. that became essential to juggle in the later boss fights where you couldn't necessarily use your strongest magic because you simply didn't have time but uh, we'll mm. we'll get onto that so yes, uh, the game starts with uh, Alex, a young woman, receiving a phone call where um, the policeman on the other end said, there's been an accident, and that's all he says. And she says, I'll be on the next flight. <laughs> like, um, okay. Um, then when she arrives, she finds that uh, dear old grandpa has been uh, completely eviscerated and decapitated. Um, and she uh, she is forced to identify the body, which she does from a distance by looking at a ring as if that was enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, she complains that uh, perhaps the uh, the officer may have checked dental records first or something, but he says we couldn't. It hasn't got a head or something like that. So yeah, really, really sensitive to the yeah, like, yeah, the grieving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some, some of the worst voice I've ever heard as well. That that officer. Yes. Terrible, yeah. Terrible absolutely. Um, overall, the the voice acting throughout the game is is not bad apart from i would say that uh the the, the main antagonist obviously this is Kane Rince there will be major spoilers mm. um is very very camp uh Pius Augustus uh rather pantomimic but overall you've got a lot of cast in here from uh, particularly mm. from the uh Metal Gear Solid games you've got Jennifer Hale and Greg Eagles and Kim My Guest and uh Cam Clark and various others, as uh, there's many, many playable characters in this game, as we'll discover. And um, overall, for the time, again, ten years ago, I think the script and voice acting is fairly decent. It's fairly decent now for the time. It was probably really quite excellent. Yeah, they did actually win an award um, mm. the, at the uh, Interactive Achievement Awards at the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. Um, Eternal Darkness did win that year's award for outstanding achievement in character or story development. So, yeah. I, I've got to be honest. I, I, I thought the story was complete rubbish. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, now, I want to put it in a slightly more articulate way than just rubbish but um yeah. there, there is lots of stuff i mean one of the one of the strong points of this game actually um if we get into the story there there's multiple characters i believe there's 12 different characters that span many different uh generations something um, like that we'll go we'll go through them yeah um so there's a lot to take in so there's a lot of well you know what happened in one era to, to the next but 
I honestly, after about the, the third era, I, I kind of started to get like, okay, well, yeah, they're all kind of internet connected. And I started to drift off from it. Um, nothing really, you know, apart from little hooks here and there, I, I found the overall story to be kind of um, just irrelevant. It's like, yeah, I liked, I liked aspects, I liked the bosses towards the end. But I thought, you know, each individual, each individual character was interesting because of the time period it's set in. But I thought the story that actually surrounds them was actually just kind of boring. Usually, I don't really like swapping characters around in a survival horror type game, and this sort of sort of is a survival horror in a way. It's got the elements of Resident Evil and stuff, and it's it had playing this again recently. I had the same um, the same uh, not hatred, but the same distaste for it as in Resident Evil Re- Revelations, where they try and put you in all these tense circumstances and stuff, but you keep swapping characters. And if you take Dead Space, for example, where you're always Isaac Clarke. Um, that was just like that puts you in the feet of that character and you feel like you're feeling what he's feeling but if you keep jumping around between all these different personalities I don't really know what I'm not what I'm supposed to be feeling but I just like there's so many different characters to focus on and I don't know yeah so they don't take a particularly long time to uh, get you invested in the character that you're about to play for the next sort of three quarters of an hour or so yeah the the thing i like about with the original resident evil and um dead space and stuff is that you you are firmly placed in the feet of these these characters throughout the whole of the story arc and you, you pretty much like, like i said you sort of feel what they're feeling and playing as different points of view sort of removes you out from the whole thing and you feel more of, of an observer rather than a partaker in the story I really admire the ambition of playing all the different characters and and really clever use of reusing slightly altered assets. And I like the sort of... It doesn't quite go down the route of something like um, Singularity where you're sort of solving puzzles from the past with time travel as such, but... The th- you see things that you and you go past things that become relevant later on, but, and, but and that's stuff the like unwritten that. story. That's that's not where he wins the award, whatever writing award for. It's you know, it's that's what's going on in the background in the graphics. No, I think no, 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 an interactive, an award for interactive achievement, uh, achievement inter- interactive storytelling includes the entire thing. So like, you could give you could give Valve an award for Left for Dead for that, even though it doesn't tell you anything, it shows you everything. I don't think it necessarily has to be. Um, all about the you know the the written down bit, which is which, as I say, is basically a Lovecraft story anyway. It's not it's not something that Silicon Knights really came up with. They've they've fleshed out the details, but I think that that is the story. The story is like for me, what I enjoyed about the game more than anything was the spanning of two thousand years of the same sort of handful of locations. I thought that was really interesting. It kind of reminds me of a Chrono Trigger in a way where. Like you're bouncing around, you're not literally bouncing around between time frames, but you know you are seeing, like you say, the same area but remodeled. And um, watching the giant bomb endurance run of, of um, Chrono Trigger, I had that same sort of feeling. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this place when it was all messed up mm-hmm. and hmm. covered in moss. Yeah, it definitely has got that interesting, um, yeah, non-interactive story element, I guess. It, it may be my uh, slight affection for the whole Lovecraft thing. Um, that made me warm to the actual story more and the concept of these multiple ancient gods who are trying to uh, effectively overthrow humanity. And there's there's three rival ancient gods and there's a fourth who uh, is actually kind of imprisoned and dying on Earth, but mm-hmm. ultimately holds all the cards because he, he's the one who can overpower any of them, whereas... Um, the others each have a, a, a key colour, which uh, which you select as Pius in the first um, playable section of the game, and that dictates both 
the pu- the way the puzzles play out for the rest of the game, what magic you have, what magic you have to use, and indeed, arguably, the difficulty. Although I've heard it, different places will tell you that one path is is easier than the others, and and it, they won't always agree. So, um, put simply, green is uh, sanity magic. If you pick that one, um, your enemy throughout the game, because you're picking with your with the antagonist uh, at the start of the game who is the, at that point the protagonist you're, you're picking his strength so if you pick uh, green for him that's sanity so you will struggle to hold on to your sanity more and your uh, key weapon against him if you don't pick up the um, uh, what's he called the purple one Mantarok um, if, if, you, if you just use the three key colours it will be red which is health um, and so on. So blue, blue is uh, is magic. Red is health, and green is sanity. That's um, that, another thing this game does that wasn't so usual back then. Um, this is about this came out about the same time as Eco, didn't it? It, um, it removes most on-screen furniture most of the time, except when relevant. So your uh, energy and health bars um, disappear, fade out as they're if if not relevant, which was not something we'd seen a lot at this point. Yeah, I often found myself needing those bars on screen, though, because I'd be in a a bit of a bind. I'd need to cast some magic. And I was like, well, I don't know how much I've got my, you know, I don't know how much blue mana I've got in my, uh, in my, in my, um, in my bar. So I had to pause the game and it sort of pulled me out a little bit. I wish maybe during the, the tense moments or if a, if an enemy got quite close or something like that, or if, if it recognized that I was trying to cast a magic spell with the quick buttons, maybe it just popped something up on the screen. Just briefly, just go, oh, yeah, it does say you write, you haven't got enough mana. But I didn't know how much I needed. I didn't know how many times yeah. I had to run around in circles yeah. to replenish it. Yeah, that that was that's a silly mechanic as well. The fact that you have to sort of run about to top up your magic. Later on, you get a rune which allows you to uh, create a yeah, pool over your head, which is which is jolly handy. I think now, if if they if they were to make an HD sequel, something we'll discuss at the very end of the show, uh, they would probably have some kind of uh, Dead Space style on character indicator something that would mm. show you sort of how magicked up they are whether it be i don't know a glowing arm or something like that <laughs> you could tell how topped up their their magical arm was or something like that and it was frustrating because obviously they the went into showing you how much or how little health you had by the animation cycle on your character and yes. you could tell from the sanity because the camera would tilt that's right yeah as you're going it would be more tilted but the magic was completely by the by, and it was only available to see either if you failed a spell yeah. or if you went to one specific page in your book. And it's kind of a frustrating thing, but it's not unheard of. Games still do it now. I mean, mm. if you go and play something like Silent Hill Downpour, <laughs> there's absolutely nothing on screen at any time. And to check your health, you have to press start wow. and go down to statistics. And in statistics, it'll give you a health percentage. Right. That's, I- that's, uh, that's interesting, though, because there you're comparing a modern game that had pretty mediocre to poor reviews with a game from 10 years ago that was critically you know is is a a 92% game on game rankings and metacritic or whatever but also struggled because it was released 8 months after Silent Hill 2 yeah right so Silent Hill has had a big impact on the game mm, mm. I, I did quite appreciate as well um, all the different characters had different um, attributes within that. So some had more mana than, yeah. than health, some had less health, and some had their you know, smaller sanity meters. Special items as well, to... I really enjoyed that. Everyone starts with a different inventory and they all have different uses yes. for their for their items. All that stuff was cool. That That is the stuff that... And I, I don't know, for me I think there was enough sort of... Uh, with most of the characters there was enough 
surrounding them enough exposition and enough time spent with them in the opening sequences to have enough uh, empathy I, with them to to not want them to get eaten by monsters and zombies. I think my bigger problem really is that I think there's too many characters and I think the game spans too long of a time. Um, if it if it may be given a little bit more detail to you know to fewer characters and shorten the time down a little bit, then mm-hmm. I, I think you know, I probably would have been a bit more on board of the whole Lovecraftian story. As it was, I got towards the end and felt the need to actually go off and read Wikipedia for a second and kind of catch up where what I was missing in here because it, it felt like okay, I kind of get the general over overview, but I'm I'm clearly missing something about the gods here. There were definitely definitely some characters who were more sort of key and involved. Obviously, the Royvas family. Uh, you play as three different members of the Roybus family, um, but then some of the other characters, and obviously playing as Pius, who becomes the main enemy as he is the the one who has been uh, pulled into service by uh, his whichever ancient you pick to uh, get get that ancient mm-hmm. evil god back into into the fray to to take over the earth and whatever. Um, but yes, I suppose people like Roberto Bianchi, the architect and, and the firefighter do, they have, obviously they do play a crucial part in terms of they do move the events forward, but perhaps, perhaps they could have condensed those bits into more, more, more events per character or something like that. But well, the Bianchi character really could have been removed as well, because I don't know if it's just me, but I, personally thought that that was by far the lowest quality of all the levels mm, mm. yeah uh it's interesting because you get to go to the the tower of corpses site but mm-hmm. yes but uh but the actual yeah the actual design of that was not so strong yeah i agree um another interesting thing that struck me right at the start having um played the um, much maligned recent silent hill hd compilation is that um of course, originally the Silent Hill games only had tank controls, move, tilt and point. In the the one sort of concession they have made in the in the HD collection, unless they were in the original games, I can't remember. Um, they if you if you want to change the the control to 3D controls, as in you know 360 movement with your character on the screen, um, that's actually the default in Eternal Darkness. So hmm. although this game was just a few months, as Carl says, after Silent Hill 2, it did have a more uh, progressive control system, mm-hmm. I suppose. It was more like a, a standard third-person character action game in that respect than your traditional Japanese survival horror, which was a genre at this point which wasn't, you know, wasn't terribly old either. Yeah, I quite like the agility of the characters. They sort of... I, I never felt like I was being penalised because the controls were slowing me down. I always felt like I could... I could, unless I got swarmed by a bunch of them, that's understandable. But I could I always find myself I could just literally run away. They're from quite nimble, except the, except Roberto and Max, the fat characters who are actually slow. And you are punished in this game to an annoying point where it can get to the stage where you're very low on health, and you're actually going to die because you're very low on health because you slow right down as well. So it's a bit it's probably realistic, but is it fun? I don't know. It's pretty harsh. Dying in Eternal Darkness is not fun. <laughs> yeah, so that's something that's worth mentioning. This simply would not happen now, probably. What, well, dumping back to the title screen? Back to the title oh. screen. So two game over screens. Is it two? Mm-hmm. One or two? Well, uh, you got, yeah, kind of almost like a splash game over screen. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, it takes a few seconds. It plays you a little jingle and back to back to the actual front end screen where you have to manually go to load game select your memory card, select your load file, and then wait for it to load back in. 
Well, wow. If 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 you've saved as well, I, Carl, yeah. I know Carl was playing this um, a couple of weeks <laughs> before I was, and it, he was really annoyed because he lost about an hour and a half mm. game because, as he said, he was so engrossed in the game that he forgot to save. And I was like, Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll bear that in mind. And mm. I'd not only I bloody well did it myself. No, oh. I was yeah. I just that. There, there is points you just kind of play and you think, yeah, I've had no trouble at all in this level. Why? I, I don't. Yeah, maybe I should save, but yeah, I'm just going to push on. And sometimes it doesn't even allow you to save if there's. Yeah, you can only. That's right. You can only save when when a room is empty. But the 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 advice is do that every time you empty a room. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I quickly learned that once I lost an hour's worth of progress. There is no oh. checkpointing. There is no auto saving. No. And the absolutely not. And the enemies in a room even counts if they're in a location which you can't access from where you are. So say when there are zombies on the balcony in the cathedral, even if you're down below and they can have nothing to do with you, that still counts as being in the same location. So you can't save. That's pretty tough. Well, and and the um, I'd, I'd say maybe the. The, the immersion break inside of this is that every time you do clear a room out you do end up in a if, if there was a quick save button you'd be pressing it but no you yeah. have to go through you know a couple of menus to get there save yeah. and, and move on it does take you out of out the game multiple times just because you're like oh god I don't want to go back to that start screen again even if you're not likely to die there are some awesome sanity effects which uh, relate to that but we'll come to those later mm-hmm. um, so yes uh, it starts in 26 BC and, uh, and the game ends in the year 2000 so two years before the game came out but probably about the year the game was originally planned to come out yeah. uh, you're playing as a simple Roman soldier Pius Augustus who uh, his emperor his Roman emperor believes um, in some has come to learn of some kind of ancient artifact and he sends uh, a legion or whatever to go and get it Pius gets summoned by the mysterious whispering voices um, and he sort of gets teleported inside a temple um, and uh, you make your way through that temple and that's where you pick your colour as previously described uh, the next between each section you come back to the Resident Evil style house which is set on uh, Rhode Island um, that's where you are Alex Royves and pretty much until the end of the game those are just linking sections where you don't fight any monsters until maybe about the last two sections that's a pretty big spoiler because you think you might uh, but you're never quite sure so in between each section you go hunting you've your uh, grandfather's left you a kind of paper trail uh, to follow conveniently um, of things that he he figures that you'll pick out you'll you'll work out and work out how to get hold of the next chapter of the the uh, the, the Necronomicon, the Book of Eternal Darkness, which is made out of human flesh and bone and blah blah blah. Um, that was one thing that I did never quite understand in the story. Um, so. With each character, the next of which we'll talk about in a moment, Elia in Cambodia. Um, normally, a few screens into a character's chapter, they will uh, you will you will attempt to go through a door, and then you'll be sort of. It's not really explained, but it's almost like a, a an insanity effect where you suddenly find yourself in this room where the Book of Eternal Darkness is kept in in the in a in a sort of clawed bone hand with um, statues of other people who have uh, come to grisly fates throughout the history of this uh, this story. Um, so then you go and pick up the book in this place, this alternate place. Then you find yourself warped back to exactly the point you were before you did that. But you do have the book physically and really, and whatever character you are and whatever era, you immediately start using the magic in it. 
is that just purely am i am i thinking about this too much or is that a bit crazy so like you're 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 a, in the last chapter say you're a you're a gulf war firefighter putting out fires in the oil fields which the ancient gods are, are sort of they they it's it's explained that they kind of leap on situations of human conflict because that's when humans are preoccupied busy and are most prone to you know dark thoughts and and stuff understandably mm-hmm. um you're a, you're a, you're an american dude from 1991 goes into a mysterious alternate dimension or possibly a fantasy picks up a book and then immediately casts shield on himself it's like oh right well i've got this fleshbound book uh yeah shield whoa look magical attack whoa without really kind of addressing it <laughs> what what's what's the deal with that am i missing something I didn't think you could do that with some of them. I thought that was... I, I know the firefighter you can because I, I did do it a few times. All of them. But um, Was it all of them? I'm, I'm sure there was some. I was like, God, I've, I, want my, I want the magic side of this. No, the firefighter is actually the one who gets it the latest in his chapter if you go the wrong way, as I did, which is why I had to tweak to Darren and Carl because I actually... At the start of that chapter, you are surrounded by a lot of monsters. And I was making the mistake of trying to take them all on where, in fact, what you really need to do is run to the end of that the sort of the the map for that section get the book and uh and then you actually can use shield and stuff but yeah they all they all get the book don't they well you, you missed a trick on that as well because there was a uh, the, the fire axe and and the gun no 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 i, I did get that I, yeah i okay. absolutely got that turn left straight away after basically going into that world wasn't it anyway or did i anyway i got <laughs> i got there in the end but um that chapter is is yeah it seems to be that quite tough although ultimately it's quite doable um but yeah, sorry. The the the, the characters get in the book and then immediately knowing how to use the arcane magic within. What's what's the deal there? I think they're just described as being chosen. There's a couple of times in the game where your character is uh, I can't remember which character is it goes below. I think it's Bianchi, um, and he's attacked by Kareem from an earlier chapter, and he says, "Oh, you're you're a chosen." And I, I think it's only the chosen get to see the book and get the handle on the book, uh-huh. and therefore sort of inherit the powers of the book that have been learnt by all the people before it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it didn't really bother me until until that chapter we're talking about in 1991 because the, the most most of the game is is set in, you know, previous years by many and uh I I just took it as red like, yeah, okay, yeah, this is set in the past and it's all fantasy. <laughs> but then all of a sudden this firefighter is whipping out these magical attacks and spells and stuff and it was just a bit it, mm. it did seem a little bit out of place. It didn't make any more sense to me that the the World War One guy was doing it, or the nineteen fifties guy was doing it, really. But uh, yeah, I guess it's just one of those things where you have to let it go. Um, so yes, back to Cambodia, eleven fifty A.D. Fast forward uh, some one thousand two hundred years, pretty much, uh, and you take control of uh, Elia, young woman, and uh, you. This is where you actually meet or see the fa- the fact that Mantarok, the dead god. He of the purple coloured magic is uh, is entombed underground in Cambodia. Uh, does she? I think she also meets Pius at this point, and Pius crops up various times throughout as he's he's spending he's spending two thousand years as a skeleton. Um, and also, that's another problem I have because he has the skeletal thing where he can talk perfectly well, even though he has no lips or tongue. Which, which is impossible. Uh, you should try it sometime. Yeah, this this chapter reminds me of um of why I don't really like this genre of game anymore. Um, I, I they're totally serviceable and you know people do like them. I don't get me wrong, but it kind of reminded me why I don't really play these kind of games anymore. And probably why it didn't sell was because 
I ended up just wandering around these various rooms and trap rooms and other things, just, just looking for the prompt in the top right corner mm-hmm. of the screen to let me examine stuff. And sure, that that is how the games play. I understand that Resident Evil was like that. You know, you have to examine things and read what it says. But yeah, I, I missed one tiny little hole where you end up putting a stick in to pull a lever. Yeah, and I must have spent about an hour looking for I, this thing. I missed that one for ages. That's not an obvious. It's not very well indicated. Most 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 of the items, the puzzles. Um, sorry, the cameras kind of point you towards things, don't they? And they're they're shiny or they're well lit or they're they're very obvious in position but that yeah that hole sucked and it is very much uh, one of those games in i remember there was a a screenshot of resident evil probably in cmvg or something in the original in in 96 and it was the yeah do you want to remove the bath plug i think it was that that screen y or n and the caption underneath the screenshot said do you want to solve the puzzle yes or no and that's so true <laughs> it's still it's so true like do you want to do this thing of obviously yes um there are actually yeah. a, probably a few points in the game where you don't want to try something yet for for whatever reason but generally yes it is find find the red b button indicator and push it mm. yeah and but there are some there are some puzzles that require thought, isn't it fair to say? A few that are a bit more than just insert block into thing. There's some where you have to uh, actually think about, for instance, the the giant circle of power. You actually have to think about which spell you're trying mm-hmm. to cast. Um, the actual the magic system, which is quite interesting, is uh, there's a certain amount of... You can trial and error there. And there's actually, you can discover spells before you're given them in the game and stuff like that. I actually missed a codex in the game. Oh, really? Um, for the summon, uh, what the, the little spider things? What they call it? Oh, a trapper. Crawler? A trapper. Yeah, I actually missed the codex for summon trapper. So I just had you have discovered spell six. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Throughout the game. Yeah, and that's. Uh, I think at some point in the game, every spell is required to solve a puzzle, and and uh, you also get three strengths of most spells. Although the three strengths of summon spell each summon a different monster one bigger than the last um yeah which also you need to solve a puzzle towards the end of the game uh so next up is anthony in 814 ad in uh, amiens france that's the first of the french chapters uh i can't remember too much about this he's a young lad and uh i can't remember what he does that's um so significant to the story but he does he does turn up again later anyone got anything to say about anthony I remember enjoying the chapter, but I can't really right. remember much okay. about the chapter. We'll move straight on. Yeah. It's just one of those chapters like we were speaking about earlier. Like, the, the, Was he really necessary for the story? And, you know, the, the, maybe it, it was probably a fun chapter to play, but like the fact that we just can't really remember what he's done, and mm-hmm. like, maybe they just could have just half, you know, shortened the chapter maybe, or I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a bit it, of filler. Yeah, it's a bit of filler. Isn't yeah. It? For a game that does stretch on near the end, maybe they should have just shortened it a bit. Mm. Well, and because you think about that, because there is certain chapters that I think we're all going to jump in. Like, oh yeah, that was a really great chapter. Um, but yeah, the, there's some stuff earlier in the game. I, I even though I've only played it what, at this point probably 24 hours ago, um, I'm still yeah, I, I don't remember that chapter at all, which which says something really. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it was at this point back at the, uh, the the Rhode Island house in the the then almost present day uh, where I learned of the uh, or I had the first experience with some um, insanity effects every time you come out of uh, a another character's chapter which is Alex reading of the past uh, she's lost an increasingly large amount of sanity now later in the game this if you've 
been doing your magic and learning your spells, this doesn't become much of a problem because you simply press a button and she gets all her sanity back. But earlier in the game, you either don't realize that or, or you don't have the capabilities to or whatever. But um, the this point, I remember uh, walking along the upstairs uh, balcony and the statue uh, started watching me, <laughs> following me around. Mm. That was sort of comical, but also quite cool. And it's also at that point that perhaps the most infamous um, scene in the game. And unfortunately, I don't think it ever quite sort of matches up to this in terms of pure what the fuck just happened is the, the, the infamous bathroom scare. So as you're going around the house, every time you see a red prompt, of course, you're automatically going examine, examine, because there might be something to pick up. There might be a, a little item of ammunition or a key or something. Um, one of the the rooms you go in is the the bathroom, and when you examine bathtub, it very suddenly and abruptly, with a loud shriek, cuts to sort of various several images of your character um, sliced up in a bath full of blood. It does seem a tiny bit out of place, but I I did sort of appreciate that the game did actually scare me rather than creep me out because the whole of the game so far, I've been on edge with the whispering and the telephone ringing and all the insanity effects that sort of that you don't really see a lot of insanity effects at the start of the game you, you you know you hear a few bits here and there you know like I said the whispering on the telephone but then when you press B on this bathtub and it made me jump I was like do you know what I mean I, yeah. I, I remember it the first time and it still caught me off guard the second time so it, it's odd because obviously this, this game you know as we previously talked about was rated M in the States it was a big deal that it was Nintendo you know publishing it and you know it's a survival horror um, yeah I think coming back to it now that there's it's not actually that bad. I mean, the the bathtub scene was, you know, it was a shock because, you know, it's quite visceral, I guess. But um, It's the sound. I don't think it would do anything with, if you had the sound off, if you were listening to something else or whatever. I mean, that's true of a lot of this game. A lot of the ambient noises are crucial, I think. But, that's um, true of everything, I think. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, so but obviously you've got that hacking of limbs and stuff, but it... Hmm. Now now we've been stuff like Dead Space, like the ambient tone of that game is there's so much more a stream than, than something like uh, Eternal Darkness. It, it's weird to kind of see how far we've come in, in trying to scare the player, how far the player's come in, in actually needing to be scared because because most of this game I kind of just, I wandered through and wasn't really on, on the edge of my no, seat. Um, no, I agree. Uh, and I wasn't really like, oh wow, this is survival horror in, in any way. I thought, oh, okay, no, yeah. It has, I, creep, I like it has creepy moments and, and it's mm. as much as anything, the fear is about losing progress or having to reload from the title screen <laughs> as much as it is actually what might happen. But at least that bathroom scare, even if it was more of a sort of schlock moment, um, at least it opened up your mind to the possibility that they can pull anything that shit. Could, Unfortunately, yeah. they never really pull anything like that again, which is it's kind of a shame. It's. I would say it's fair to say that it's a game of potentially two scares. That is the only scare that got me. The other scare is the uh, obviously the, the save insanity effect, which I never got <laughs> in my run through. No, I but didn't get that, it. I've seen a it. A very, very good one. It's... It's also weird as well. I mean, while we're talking about the sanity effects, that they're, they're quite often telegraphed. Um, so I, I think that the idea of a great scare is, is with, that you have no idea it's coming up and you have no idea what's going on. But quite often, because I think often they're, they're comical in nature. Yes. So you, say, for instance, you'll walk into a room and suddenly your head will pop off your body. Yeah. And, like, yeah. and I, I, I laughed. I didn't know. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my arms are falling off. That's kind of cool. Um, and so I was never really on the edge of my seat. And... They were always telegraphed, so 
they always happened as you wandered in normally as you wandered into a new room um and then you go oh like the game's messing with me again and then it'll be that scream and it'll go back out of those sanity effects again and you'll be back in the same room but i think the the trick wears pretty thin pretty fast it's only two or three chapters in you're like okay well this is almost now preventing me from continuing faster down this route there are near there are between 40 and 50 insanity effects in the game which i think shows some kind of commitment Mm -hmm. um and i think it's interesting that this team went on to remake uh metal gear solid because there's definitely a kojima influence in here with a lot of the fourth wall breaking stuff where it's referring to you as the player like turning the volume of your tv down or turning your tv off um, those effects probably look better again 10 years ago because they were more mm-hmm. likely to be the same sort of interface as your TV had. Um, some of the other ones I got through my playthrough, we're, we're, we're there now, so we may as well talk about them. Um, you occasionally get voices and muttering. Um, sometimes your character explodes completely. Uh, yeah, I got the TV off one. Um, fly. The volume. Yeah, the volume volume going down. Um, a fly or many flies crawling on your screen from the inside. Mm. Um, again, the graphics have probably aged on that. So it, it's weird. Obviously, they look exactly as realistic as they did 10 years ago, but our brains have uh, are more attuned to know that we can see more realistic looking flies or whatever. So, <laughs> so it's less convincing than it was, but it, it made me chuckle. Um, there's another one with, although there's just a pure head explode moment, there's also one where you get the option to press B to replace head. Um, and you get a close up <laughs> of your head on the screen and recites the soliloquy from Hamlet. I never got that. One. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, um, bells. Uh, this is, I'm just, I've got a few more the ones I saw. Uh, bells ringing, um, blood drips from the walls and various paintings. Um, your inventory, inventory completely disappearing. That's quite a cool <laughs> one where all your items are gone. And uh, one I got me. very, uh, did, did actually work on you as in shit, what's going on? Yeah, I cool. paused and the whole inventory was blank and I was like, fuck, what? <laughs> and then it was like, this can't be happening. And I was like, fair play, that got me. And uh, And the one that you get, I don't know if you can get this at other times, but I got this right near the end before the final Alex chapter, which is the uh, a fake splash screen for a sequel. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got that. yeah, it comes up, says, um, coming, you know, if you want to see how this story ends, look out for um, Eternal Darkness 2, Sanity's uh, oh, I Redemption. Get I got that near the start of the game. Oh, right. <laughs> it made more sense uh, right before the end. But, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any any other cool ones that people got? I I got a couple that made me chuckle. Was I got the blue screen of death? Yes, which yeah, which has a funny message. If you if you if you look it up online, it's worth pausing and reading because there's some quite funny text on it. But it seems odd on the GameCube because that wouldn't happen. But it was, yeah, I, I and it was funny. as I as I was going to say, the the irony is I got two actual game crash screens during my playthrough, <laughs> presumably just because the disc is old. It was second hand when I got it, probably a bit scratched, um, including during the final boss battle. And the first time I saw Ooh. it, I was like, oh, I can't believe you're fucking with me. And uh, but no, it was an actual it was an actual game crash, and I had to reset my GameCube. Yeah, there's another one where they said your your controller's disconnected. Oh yeah, yeah which yeah, got yeah. me as well because I'm like, is, is what? Oh, oh damn I'll, you! I yes. was playing with a WaveBird yeah. at that time, and it mm. said your controller's been disconnected. I was like, what? My WaveBird? This is like back in 2002 or whatever. I was like, I can't believe my WaveBird's broken. I thought it literally <laughs> died on me at the time. <laughs> so good. Susan did get me. 
the, the ones that got me more were the ambient ones that were happening in the environment and didn't take you out into the, you know, the, the sanity screens themselves. It was the blood going down the walls. It was the blood dripping off the ceilings. It was mm. a lot of the screams and, and the hollers and the you're walking up to a door and suddenly the, you know someone's knocking on the door right as you're standing. Oh, yeah, there. knocking on yeah. doors yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah that was they're good ones. Yeah, I think they're better because they don't take you out of the game. I think they're, they're better within the context of what's going on in the But isn't it quite conceptually cool, the idea that... the that the things that are happening in this game are so mental that they're actually driving the player a little bit crazy. I quite like. I think it's brilliant. Well, uh, but here's the double-edged sword because if you want to basically get through the game, and, and bear in mind if you you have the sanity bar, so if you allow it to go all the way to the bottom, then you actually start taking damage from it because right. your insanity is that low that it's now affecting your health. Um, so I think that the best way to enjoy this game is actually to allow your sanity to only be about a quarter high. Um, because you're going to have this kind of, I think it's it's probably the one of the strongest parts of the game. You know, some of the tricks it plays on the player. Mm. But if if you're a, a player like most of us are going to be, uh, you want to make sure that you kill everything in the room to gain your sanity back. And you and you, you know, certainly towards the back end of the game, you're paranoid about how low your sanity can get because there's so many more enemies that drain your sanity that you're constantly powering up because you don't want it to be dealing with the effects yeah, yeah. because there's so many more enemies on the screen. So it's a it's a weird double-edged sword. Mm. But they were definitely fun. I think the only insanity effect that I got that no one's mentioned was I was running away from some enemies down a corridor and I suddenly started walking through the floor. Yeah. <laughs> like like a clipping error. And oh, it really? actually got me because I was like, it's something I've experienced in other games, yeah. but this had done it intentionally. <laughs> and obviously, as I disappeared through the floor, it was one of those, ah, and you're back in... You know, did did you get walking on the ceiling as well? Yeah, which, is, which is quite cool. Cause you'd, no. like, what is this room? And then you suddenly you look down or, or you know, eventually look up, um, and there you are. You can see all the environment being completely turned upside down, which actually looked super cool because <laughs> they can actually do that. You know, um, I put a yeah, um, I put a video up on the uh, Kane and Rince Facebook page, or you can just search it on youtube of i think virtually all of the sanity effects in one video so it's if you don't want to play the game but want to see this you can check that out yeah i think it's the high point of the game and it's ahead of its time with these insanity effects while like tony said they're sort of they're telegraphed and you you know that they're going to come after a while when you're when your green bar is low enough and part of the fun is leaving your green bar to a quarter four Mm. like you said tony and just just experiencing them and uh, a couple of them got me uh you know the banging on the door made me jump because yeah. uh, it reminded me of the Crimson Heads from the remake, Resident Evil remake. Yeah, I was like, oh, don't start busting doors down, because that, that's like a, a little fear of mine. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I just think games need to start messing around with the player more. Um, mm. there, there's a game recently on Xbox Live Arcade which sort of did a similar thing. Um, and yeah, the, the, I, just, I like being the, the player who's getting messed with by the game. And I think Dead Space 2 had the potential to do that when he was walking through sort of like a, an ice sort of chamber area and things were like jump scaring out but it never went to the extremes as um, Eternal Darkness did so um, yeah we're back in Persia in 565 AD and uh, a young man called Karim who also gets uh, somehow uh, roped into basically all these characters are wittingly or unwittingly roped into helping Pius who takes many forms and shapes into uh, summoning his his particular ancient, the one he wants to come out and, and uh, the one he worships for whatever reason, um, because he picked the colour at the start uh, <laughs> to enslave humanity. Um, anything about the Karim chapter? He comes back it later. Was the first one, 
It was the first one I actually lost a chapter and a half of progress. Oh. The, f- the first time, not the last time. Mm, shit. Okay. Uh, then after, again, back to the house, uh, then back uh, to the house, but in 1760 with uh, Big Max, Maximilian, voiced by William Hootkins, uh, Porkins, Red Six of Star Wars fame. The thing that struck me about this chapter um, is the the music that plays at the start is the most out of place tune they could possibly have used. It's a weird sort of jaunty synth piece. Um, so you've got this old dude in his sort of buckles and doublet and hose and whatever. Um, that's probably wrong, but uh, old old seventeen sixty style clothing um, running around the house to this most out of place. It sounds like something like something from Perfect Dark by Rare or something like that. It's really weird. running around the house while all his uh, servants are there and he's kind of um, you're, you, you equip one of his uh, character specific items which are uh, dual flintlock pistols so he's kind of running around with his dual flintlock pistols this big fat man to this jaunty synth music while his servants <laughs> carry on um, working unabashed but uh, yeah apparently the, the, there were rumours that Maximilian Roymas were, were mental so it, it probably makes out and it's it's uh, it's this point you actually for the first time see that there's an entire underground city mm-hmm. um, buried beneath the mansion that's quite a revelation hmm. yeah I did quite enjoy that sort of moment of just like oh god what is, what the hell's down here how, how deep does it go and what evil lurks down there? So perhaps uh, someone can clarify slightly. So this is the this is the ancient city of Engar. Uh, there are there are, there's more than one of these ancient cities below, and this is called a guardian city because this is where all the monsters that you've been fighting are sort of hived. But it's not actually their city; they didn't create it. Is it? It's a city of the ancient people who worship the ancient gods, something like that. It's, it's the story again. It sort of it sort of just went over my head at points and. Uh, as soon as you miss one section of the story, especially for me, that they, they it's all sort of started breaking up, and that yeah, the story's not the well, it's, yeah. it's not a strong point for me. I'm with Darren. I I, I have honestly no idea what that city was and where it came from uh, okay. up until the very end of the game, where I did research in it. But um, there I think in the earlier chapters there was there was the architect, wasn't he? Who went was that in the earlier? Chapters? No, no, no. The ar- the architect is uh, is oh, it's it's earlier in history because it's in in mm. in 1460. But he's in the he's in the the Middle East. 
But uh, I mean, in, uh, skipping slightly here, but he explains, you know, that that place will, you know, they wanted to build that property, wasn't it? That that, that wasn't a great place because it was full of um, these ancient things. Oh, and it was right. very bad, and yeah. you shouldn't build it there. And so that explains how the mansion got put there because they wanted it put there. Yes, um, you know, the bad guys wanted it put there because there there was this, you know, powerful source which could be tapped into. Uh, whether they knew there was the underground city there, I'm not too sure. Right. So Maximilian ends his chapter incarcerated in, in an asylum where we later learn that he ultimately I died. I thought that was quite good. Yeah. So he's well he's actually the first person in the game who's kind of tried to come out and say, look, there's all this shit going on that you don't understand. Like all the gods you believe in and stuff, whatever they are, it's all but, it's all nonsense. This is what's going on. Yeah, the, the reason I like that is because all the... the the characters you've been playing before have been kind of sentenced to death once they get to the end of their chapters right. uh, by the, you know, with the, the or eternal players. damnation in the case of Pius. Yes. Um, so, but, and that's the first chapter where he comes back to, you know, our reality and what would the, you know, the people um, really think if somebody started saying there's this a, a city underneath this house and, you know, you need to know this stuff, uh, you know, and what would they do back at that time, which is they throw him in prison and call him a crazy man and, you know, essentially has the fate of the world on his shoulders and, and he does actually go crazy in his cell because he can't, nobody's listening to him. Well, that was actually a really interesting story beat and was the first time actually the story kind of started getting me. I was like, okay, I, I can see that. Human human behaviour once again betraying us. Hmm. Well, I must be really gullible because they did the insanity effect of where, when I was playing as Maximilian, where he was in the prison, like he, I'd go for a door and he'd just bump into like the jail cell. I heard about this like, one. Yeah, this can't be happening. I was like, oh god, I thought I was in prison then. And then you get to the end of the chapter and it's the same sort of cell and he's sort of rattling on doors like, oh, eternal darkness, you got me again. And then you find out, no, it's the actual story and you're like, oh god. <laughs> uh, once again, the, the game actually got me and um, that's probably just pure coincidence that I got that um, that insanity effect as Maximilian. But it worked. I think, I think I, I could have misunderstood but I think I looked up and that's it, that's one, that's a character specific one that only he can get. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. I think there are a few of those. Uh, it's quite a strong chapter, that one, as well. I think that was probably the first one I really enjoyed. I remember I ran forward and I had my dual flintlock pistols, and I was like, ah, I ran straight into the enemy, <laughs> fired them off, and all of a sudden it was like, reload. First <laughs> yeah, time oh, you God. got guns instead of uh, melee weapons, swords. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll discuss what we thought of the combat at the end, I guess. Um, so then, after Back to the House, of course, it's uh, then 1983 in Cambodia and uh, sort of s- somewhere between a um, sort of old English-style colonial explorer and uh, uh, an Indiana Jones is, is uh, Edwin Lindsay. Um, and he's been coerced by Pius in disguise again to explore some Cambodian ruins. Um, I'm not sure why he had him there. Didn't really understand that. <laughs> no, just just there. Uh, but Wasn't it because there was an important artifact of Manta Rock, and he needed help getting it? He was he couldn't. Pius couldn't find it, so he okay. got someone else. A famous who may explorer. be able to find it. A famous archaeologist. Yeah. Oh yeah, that 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 sounds about right. Because it's an important chapter for that reason. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is the chapter where you can go through and miss the optional rune of Manta Rock, who is the 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 fourth rotting uh, god the purple god 
whose mm-hmm. color, rather than having to play the scissors, paper, stone game with your other magics, uh, purple rules all. So you can cancel any magical barrier with purple. Uh, you can shield any attack with purple. Um, so it's worth doing, but you have to jump through a couple of little extra hoops. Backtrack. Yeah. Backtrack, yeah. I, I didn't think... Um, the only thing was it took me a while because I couldn't remember where the hell I'd seen that wall with the with the shield on it, but I did realise there was something... There was a bonus there, and at one point I finished the chapter and realised that I hadn't got it, so I went back in and, and made sure I got it, and I'm glad I did because it does make the rest of the game a lot easier. Who else? Yeah, I constantly use purple. Yeah. yeah, I went. Yeah, I went back and and, and done it. Is is, a, is that the one where you send your little um, trapper? Oh, what's the, yeah, I could, I could, every time I, I someone one, I called him. Oh, my little puppy, uh, just because they were so funny. Uh, you get your trapper and you actually put him through the door, you know, under the hole, don't you? And then release something. But uh, yeah, you. I actually like this puzzle. You you have to right. The trapper dimension is something you see occasionally. You'll occasionally get mm-hmm. warped by these little not very scary uh, monsters into the trapper dimension, which is effectively a medium-sized room. It's not a dimension. It's a room. Um, and at, uh, oftentimes, it's actually you want to get trapped in there because yeah. you can top up your one of your meters. <laughs> so I th- It was an interesting gameplay decision, that, because these things normally, because once again, you just want to push forward. You don't want to get yeah. uh, caught up in, in sanity effects on sometimes, but these trappers, they take you out of that and it takes two or three minutes to get back into where you were. But it's um, fine because but, it's like a little rest. Yeah. You've only got a couple of shambling zombies to deal with and you can top up your health bar. So, but it was always a 50, 50 call. Cause you, then you'd always press start, have a look, see whether I was low on anything, extremely low on something. Yeah. 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 I, you know, and then we're like, okay, no, I'm fine. Shoot so I need to take, yeah, shoot these from a distance. Yeah. But uh, it was an interest in having a, a a character where they can either really annoy you because oh, I didn't want to go here. It's like just uh, and and then between that I just run straight into them and go, "Yep, take me. <laughs> I'm done. I, I need some sanity now, quick." In this trapper dimension, did the the, the coloured rings that teleport you from little island to island to replenish your mm-hmm. bar of choice? Yes. Did they did the did the ring colour change when you moved? Because I remember standing there for ages and it was red. No, if like, you, come on. If you, st- if you stand too, too close, close to it, it stops cycling. But if you step back, it'll start cycling again. Yeah. I never worked that out. Yeah. But the, 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 the solution to getting the, the Mantarok uh, rune is that you have to uh, use your trapper's targeting ability to warp a body from a door that it's blocking into mm. the trapper dimension. And from that point on, it's always there in the trapper dimension. Yeah. And there's another item later on that does the same. And it was at that point that I realized, oh, shit, that's that body from behind the door that I put there hours ago. So I thought that was a pretty cool puzzle, really. Wow. Um, I, did, I did wonder why there was a cupboard in the trapper dimension at one point. Like, you you put it there, too. cupboard there? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it all makes sense now. Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> um Otherwise, uh, I think Lindsay actually survives, doesn't he? He actually—he's one of the few characters who doesn't uh, meet a grisly end, which is you can't kill Indiana Jones. Yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, he's drunk from the Holy Grail. Uh, so um, back in time to 1485 in the Cathedral at Amiens again, um, and uh, Paul Luther the monk is—he—he he quickly realizes that. Uh, most of the people in this temple are actually cultists and worshippers of the evil ancient gods. You can tell because they've got poor complexion. Evil eyes. Yeah. Like Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah. Again. Yeah, they look very similar to uh, the, the, the uh, yeah, those, those people. The Illuminati. Yeah. <laughs> Illuminados in, in Resi 4. Uh, 
So he, th- this is quite a cool chapter, I think. You have to go around and, and mm. find enough evidence to um, sort of prove your innocence, as it were. Ultimately, it counts for nothing. Um, you do get to kill the zombie a version of Anthony, who got cursed a uh, hundred, well, no, about 600 years previously in the same place. Uh, but then ultimately, you die anyway. Yeah, I think this is my favourite chapter out of them all. It's the one that sticks out the most to me, because... Yeah. It's a, uh, it's quite. A, you spend a lot of time in the in the cathedral area, and I, you, you do return there, and you have been there before. But I think this is the actual one, the one chapter where you spend a lot of time in there, uh, other than the World War One chapter, which comes up later on. Mm. But yeah, I really enjoyed the, the, you know, the whole thing of like finding evidence and stuff, and people not believing you and thinking that you're the, you're, you're the killer of that body in the, in the by the altar. Am I, am I thinking that right? Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they all accuse you of killing them, yeah. and then you're like, well, no, I didn't, and then you go and find all the evidence. Yeah. And then ultimately like you one. get squished by a guardian uh, <laughs> who's going to be a boss in a chapter or two's time. It's quite comedic. Uh, Pius says, oh, we'll deal with him. Yeah. And then the the boss just looks at you and basically pops your head. Yeah. 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 It's That's quite it. shocking. <laughs> you fail. Like, oh, yeah. so we're not fighting that then? <laughs> no, not this time. So the next uh, non-Alex... In 2000 chapter is the one we mentioned earlier, which is uh, Roberto Bianchi in, back in 1460. So this actually takes place 25, uh, 25 years before the previous uh, Amiens chapter. Um, he is sent in by, again, Pius in disguise as, uh, as a noted architect to uh, mm-hmm. scope out whether this um, complex, this sort of church of... Uh, cultist pagan ritual worship is uh, actually sound for for use of course it isn't and um for some reason he um Pius sends him in there even though the place is already crawling with zombies um shambling zombies so how he expected him to actually get through and examine all the rooms you have to do a lot of killing and a lot of puzzle solving perhaps wasn't the best plan by Pius i think Pius is a bit stupid actually uh, yeah, so that was not the greatest chapter, and he actually ends up um, as part of this uh, column of intertwined human bodies, which is part of the the nastiness required to summon the the ancient god. Da da da. And you do see it later. I on think in the it's certainly well. yeah, uh, it's certainly one of the weaker chapters. I think it's actually the quickest chapter to complete as well. But it does t- it. It is if you don't miss one of the rooms like I did to to examine and couldn't work out how to get there for ages. That's it. It does take on that interesting aspect that it has a secondary objective to it in that you do actually have to scan four different areas as if being an architect to build in that area and seeing if it's suitable, which I I thought was quite an interesting thing to do. Yeah, I I missed the first scan right in the very first room and had to backtrack all the way do that first before I could go back. It's quite handy they mark the X's on the map. Mm. I was, I was so I was so relieved. It was like, okay, run back to the start. Yeah. Oh, the cutscene hasn't triggered yet. Oh, the map. Luckily, yeah, X marks. It doesn't tell you, but uh, but but you spot it. I was also going to say it's quite handy that this game has very few, indeed, uh, regenerating monsters. So, which which also does take some of the the edginess and the fear out of it. But you've generally got more than enough resources, whether it be ammunition or whatever, to to get through a section as long as you don't sort of fanny about really. Um, and there are, as has been said, uh, many points where discretion is the 
greater part of Valor and running away in a traditional Resident <laughs> Evil style is not a terrible idea. Although I did realise that once I completed that uh, that the 91 chapter, which we're coming towards, um, I'd actually used but one of my grenades. It's like, why didn't I just fucking use them? You know, why did I, I'm just a terrible hoarder because I'm always expecting something worse around the, the corner. Worst, yeah. yeah, like some boss that gonna is gonna take three grenade hits that would have taken eight thousand slashes of my axe. You know, sort of thing. So I don't know. The, me- the melee weapons are pretty powerful. They Sometimes are. They're, they're yes. More, once you, certainly, if you're going to enchant them, they they can be a lot more powerful than the guns can. Well, be. let's break it's off from the from it. the story with three chapters to go and talk about the combat in the game because it, again, it's something you do spend quite a lot of time doing. Uh, so um, it shows you very on that you have a sort of targeting system. Uh, to you, you can target arms and legs and body and head, but there's absolutely mm-hmm. no point in ever targeting anything other than the head as far as I can work out, because <laughs> uh, that will either confuse them, slow them down, or take them out completely. Um, quite a cool mechanic is uh, when you down things, they, they flash and stay on the ground for a bit. And if you then perform a finishing move, which occasionally you're granted a kill cam as well, mm. thanks to the magic of polygons, uh, you actually regain a little bit of sanity, uh, especially on the bigger monsters. Uh, and they've all got their own custom animations. They mostly carry different swords and weapons. You can do kill shots with guns or axes or swords just as well. Um, one of the big problems I had, and, I, and again, I suppose this is sort of realistic and whatever, but sometimes you'll be in a tight corridor with a large sword and you'll be hitting the walls rather than <laughs> yeah. hitting the monsters. And that that was quite tense, but also quite annoying. Uh, I quite like that fact that you'd be next to a wall and you'd, you'd aim for the arm and it'd clang against it. It kind of reminded me of Dark Souls and it was the same sort yeah. of tension. It's like, oh god, I'm not going, I'm not going to kill this, I'm not going to kill this monster. But then you know you'd, you'd go to the head and you'd do like a vertical sort of swipe down. That's and, nearly always the answer, isn't it? A vertical swipe to the yeah. head. Yeah. Uh, it worked quite well because if you in the first mission where you're in the cathedral, uh, you pick up the double-edged sword for the first time since yeah. maybe the second chapter and you think, oh, it's amazing, and then you forced to take corridors but you actually pick up a mace in a different room if you find it yeah and you realize that you actually you can swing that mace in those corridors and it becomes sort of every time you're in an open area you use the sword and the mace and i quite enjoyed that oh that was to say you know if i was to describe the combat i'd, I'd say it's perfunctionary it's I, i'm trying to put myself once again in, into someone of, of 10 years ago um because now I, there is a lot there is actually a lot of combat in this game it, it probably makes up at least Fifty percent the combat, and the other fifty percent exploring. Um, the very first and... interactive thing you do is uh, is with Alex is shooting some zombies with a shotgun, even though it's sort of not. Yeah. It's in a nightmare, um, but that does yeah that sets you up for the rest of the game. So it, and like you say, you have the variation of, of chopping you know independent limbs off if you want, but th- there is really no reason to do so. It's always hit the head. Once the head is gone, if they're still standing, then just mash and just slice them, and they will go down. Yeah. Um, Occasionally, there are some the bigger enemies, uh, the, certainly the guys of the wings, which uh, can be quite annoying. You have to make sure you're kind of behind them, otherwise they start summoning things. You end, you end up doing this loop the loop around them, just keep them running until they kind of stop, and then you can get hit on them. Yeah, at first um, I was uh, I thought that you had to wait until they unspread their wings and then shoot them in the head or hit them in the head, but then as 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 you say, I realised you could actually nip round the back and do them lots mm-hmm. of damage while they were, but they were probably the most troublesome, along with multiple. If they summon multiple horrors, I think the hardest the hardest room in the game was probably the one with the 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 nineteen ninety one chapter with Michael Edwards, a firefighter, where there's I think three winged guardians each summoning horrors, and that's uh, that's where I was struggling because I didn't have enough weaponry to deal with that. But 
but a bit like the story, I, I found myself kind of just drifting off from the combat, and there was rooms that I just completely left people in because you you get a feel for a yeah. for a place because towards the end of the game you've visited these locales three or four times although the, the layouts change somewhat because the centuries have changed um you still kind of know you know what is a room you're not going to come back to and i found myself going oh, i'm just going to run up this ladder run past them back down the ladder and that was it you never see them again um because the actual the combat section of it wasn't really fun although the boss the, the, there's some harder bigger bossy creatures that you have to get you know kill to get open doors and stuff and i thought they were quite tense when you were down on on uh certainly health and you were having to drag yourself to a corner and, and regen that and, and go for your thing but the tip for anyone that is wants to play this after we've, we've talked about it um just enchant your weapons uh there's a there's an enchant item ability you get more powerful as you as you get through the net through the game and once you've done that a lot of stuff you can just see one hit kill and it'd be that Done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where were we? Uh, yes, Peter Jacob in uh, Amiens, which is, uh, well, it's actually in the Oublier Cathedral, which it sort of, you realise, is um, kind of an extension, a large extension of the church at Amiens that you've already spent two chapters in. So this is during World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been converted into a hospital. Um yeah, you're sort of noticeably in the modern world here, even though it's World War One. It's uh, you know it's that long ago, nearly a hundred years ago. But uh, it, the game starts to feel different. I quite like, I like the atmosphere of this. You know, with the with the propaganda posters, and by the way, they can change if you're suffering with insanity, uh, mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. Um, and I like some of the puzzles in this chapter. I liked him playing the keyboard and using his uh, lucky penny to fix a fuse box and stuff like that. I thought that was all very good. And I, I thought it was the uh, the strongest ca- uh, chapter in the game by far. Mm. Um, there's something about just going starting that world. Although you, you know, you've seen this cathedral before, um, so you, you know you know it from a previous. Um, what about probably two or three hours back from that? Um, but just the, the fact that you start this chapter and there's there's planes flying overhead and you can hear the bombs dropping and you know people crying from their wounds and stuff and then whether it's just a modern setting whether it's something that you can kind of relate to but it it it, it was really striking straight from the very start and I think there was a the right balance of enemies that were actually walking through that middle of that cathedral towards the end of that chapter where there's a number of enemies there and you haven't quite got the equipment yet to deal with them bone um, bone thieves are possibly one of the most annoying enemies in the game and there's there's a you get a whole room mm. of them in there because they they can almost chain jump on you can't they yeah and i didn't realize I think the shotguns right in the, the shot yeah right or the rifles right in the middle of the cathedral area which i missed for some reason so it took me a while to to eventually find a pistol to actually be able to do with them and then then there wasn't enough ammo for that so it was actually a really tense chapter and, and a really interesting story to to go with it i just remember the the really awful looking shattering stained glass window oh yeah <laughs> it just fell apart like a dry cracker yeah. i just started cracking up that was very very <laughs> n64-ish looking that bit wasn't it it was indeed yeah, yeah. But you had previously mentioned, Darren, that um, that chapter in in the earlier period was your favourite. So, oh yeah, the the, the return of the, the, you know this church like environment was really welcome, and I, I enjoyed going like underground in, into like uh, like you say into the into the into the dark rooms to regenerate all the power and stuff. And yeah, when the bomb hit the cathedral and stuff, you're like, oh man, like you know, shit's going down obviously because it's World War One. And yeah, I, the, the, this environment was definitely my favourite. I think it suits the game more than any other like because you know it, it, it's quite fantasy and seeing stuff like churches and cathedrals sort of I don't know it seems to go well with me yeah um, again probably maybe equal 
favourite with the uh, with the other one that we mentioned earlier. But, uh, yeah, another high point for the game for sure. I like playing piano tunes as well to open up doors and stuff. It just it seems fitting for a cathedral for yeah. playing the organ yeah. <laughs> to unlock something. I was going to say I like the level. Uh, it wasn't my favourite. My favourite was actually Chapter Eleven, the firefighter level. Uh-huh. Um, I preferred my favourite thing probably from this level was the boss battle. Okay, the boss battle. Uh, I hated the it. Black Guardian. Um, now, obviously, this take yeah the Black Guardian. This takes a different form depending on your alignment and therefore Pius's alignment. Uh, so I I was playing green, so I got this sort of uh, four armed, big, tall, spindly thing. Um, which uh, brings a wall up behind you, uh, a, a yellow yeah. wall which always hurts you, and fires hurty sparks along the ground, and you have to cast uh, a well-timed magical attack spell at it to hurt it. Um, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy this. I found this annoying. I I didn't mind it. It was just the fact that dying as we mentioned earlier, is, <laughs> is is quite common with bosses. You know, you have to work, you have to find the weak point or wait until it's glowing yeah. and then cast a magical attack. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, the boss fights are never my favourite in any game. Like, even with like my favourite games like Metroid and stuff, I've always got to the boss and just gone, oh, piss off. Like, I don't I, like I'm much the same. Very, very rarely is a boss a highlight for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, only a few games like Metal Gear, I think, you know, they do bosses in a fun way sometimes. Bayonetta. But, yeah, this one was just like, yeah, Bayonetta and yeah, other games, but yeah, this one's just like okay, I, I know what to do with this boss. Like you know, I'll I'll, I'll attack when he's when he's going. But then, so which color right which end, color playthrough or which yeah? Uh, so my boss was green. Okay, he was yeah, same here. So Zelatath. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. The names are just right over my head. So yeah, there's a point <laughs> where you get quite close to him, and um, you can read. Can't you have to cast. <laughs> Sorry, you can read. I can read. I just choose not to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, it, it, it was just all the apostrophes in the words and stuff. Yeah, they've all got apostrophes in except uh, Ulioth and Mantarok. It just gets to the point where you just you don't really read the word anymore. You just make a noise, just like oh yeah. Blah, well, you get you hear them over and over again because they say them every time you cast a spell along yeah. with the, along with the names of the other runes. Yeah, it just becomes a bit sort of wishy washy by the end. I was just sort of, I just wanted it to be over, to be honest. Just like, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> it's yeah, quite this. some recommendation. Which, but which is really odd because this is a game you came back to. I mean, what was the first time through? I know we're weirdly skipping ahead, but like, why why did you come back to it other than obviously to talk about it on Kane and Rinse? It, yeah. Is um, it something you enjoyed first time through? The. Going back to the GameCube is sort of a test of how much of a fanboy I was of Nintendo at the time. And I think I, I, you know, I was hoovering up games of all ilk just because it was Nintendo hmm. and I'll, I'll freely admit that everyone knows it about it all my friends all know that I was a Nintendo fanboy just because of the N64 was so impressive on my on my like you know teens and yeah so coming back to Eternal Darkness is uh, yeah don't don't summarise just yet <laughs> no no, no but, uh, don't but, yeah, spoil this, it I think we've got this a... boss it got to the point where you're really close up with it and you have to cast a three point magical spell attack and it, it was quite tense, don't get me wrong, but uh, it was just the, the reload, like we mentioned earlier. The, just sort of I wonder if you had the same problem as me, Darren, which was that on stage three of the boss, I think it was, or was it stage two, I didn't realise that it was actually... You had to wait for it to summon three shambling zombies mm-hmm. uh, and then time it precisely so that they would all come within the, the magical... the the uh, Your... Yeah, and you had to hit the three 
zombies simultaneously to hurt the god. You weren't actually attacking, sorry, the guardian. You weren't actually attacking the guardian yourself. And uh, it took me a while to work that out. So that cost me a couple of deaths because and if you mistimed your magical attack, you would pretty much automatically get hurt by... Uh, by the Guardian's attack. So, yeah, that was a pain I'm in the ass. I'm glad I'm not the only one that wasn't World Telegraph. Okay, so I, we all, we all I, picked I, green. We all, we all, yeah, I went with green okay. as well. Seriously. I went with green, yeah. Oh, how, how bizarre. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just the cool way to look them up. What are the chances? Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I I had the same issue with that boss. It took me ages and ages and ages. Because, first of all, they, they spawn the zombies. And you think, well, the, well, you do get rid of the zombies. That's, that's you know, the first thing you've been doing with the rest of the game. And then yeah. the boss will just spawn more. Yeah, okay. Fair, and then you'll kill them. And then I was like, no, that's the cleanup working. Then it must be a magic. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the magic damage. And then I kept casting it and only getting two of them and still not realising why yeah, it was and, working. Yeah. So that's not working. So I was thinking, well, that's not working. So what else can I be doing? And I, it cost me a few, uh, a lot of spells, and then a couple of deaths before I realised it was they all need to be in your your sphere. But that's the tense moment, isn't it? Because you like it's the perfect casting, and there's a good chance they will grab you and hurt you, and that either the magic spell won't go off because you've been hit, or it will uh, hit the boss. But because it goes on for so long, so long. Um, it's only, you're, you're it's, I think it's only nine hits you actually have to deliver, and once you know how to do that, the, mm. it, it doesn't take so long. Um, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I've read uh, that the red boss is is more fun and easier, uh, and the blue boss is harder. But oh, obviously, your mileage may vary depending on what you're good at in games and stuff. But yeah, the, I think the the green boss is kind of graphically the smallest. I gather the other two guardians are, are much sort of more physically imposing and, and have a very different way of doing things. So uh, anyone attempting all three playthroughs, um, good luck. You'll get to play all of those. But at least you know what you're doing as you come up to them, so it shouldn't be too bad. Well, no, because they're different. They're all different. Uh. Okay. They they all have completely different uh, so it's techniques. Completely different boss that is probably that. the biggest okay. difference in the three playthroughs. Yeah, right. is that guardian boss? So like the I've seen I've seen video of the 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 uh, Chaturga boss, and it's like a massive thing in the middle of a room. It's not it's not doing the same attacks or anything. Right. So yeah. 1952, and this is Alex's grandfather Edward who has died at the start of the game. Uh, he sees the ghost... He's in He's in the Rhode Island mansion. He sees the ghost of Maximilian, who we controlled a few chapters ago. Um, this has a, a sort of... Um, I don't know, I want to say... It's almost like a, a nemesis moment, isn't it? It's uh, It's got a, a, a monster which you never see at any other time in the game, a kind of one-off, which is both invisible and regenerates its own health. Uh, and it kind of goes around the mansion bumping off your servants uh, and you have to follow it round and uh, eventually chase it into the place where it's regaining its essence and smash its rune up I thought that was quite an interesting twist yeah there was a moment where you're having to just wait around a room just so it comes in and That's you right. hear the door creak open Yeah, and you're like oh the, the vampire could be in here and yeah then you just have to wait for it to crop up and then you uh, bosh it around the head a few times yeah it was, I quite liked it yeah, I think it's called. A, I think it was called a, referred to as a vampire. They've all got their own names. Um, none of them are. I, the monsters, not very impressive, I would say overall. Not particularly scary. Mm. Uh, some, some of them are quite annoying. Um, I think the winged ones look quite cool, but most of them are incredibly generic. And also, it's never really explained why the. Uh, sometimes you see the uh, the monsters, these guardians as they're called, of different alignments scrapping it out. 
So they all live together. Uh, the 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 monsters of Ulioth, Zelatath, and Chiturga all live together in this guardian city, and occasionally they have fights. It's a bit it's a bit of a mad setup. Um, but regardless of your alignment, they're all enemies to you. Mm. Yeah. Um, but depending on your alignment, the ones that are your uh, Achilles heel, as it were, they'll they'll cause you more damage, sort of thing. So like the the green zombies are headless, so you, they just have an insanity um, damaging headless appearance, the glowing green head. And I guess again, sadly, we've all played through the same color. We probably should have thought about this <laughs> organized <laughs> different colored playthroughs, but uh, I gather there are some differences between your playthroughs depending on uh, as regards to that. But again, slightly so- strange setup. So in this chapter, is this the well coming back to the the mansion? Is this the first time that actually there's something that's not human inside your mansion killing people, or does that happen? Uh, possibly something comes in when Alex is there before. With isn't doesn't she doesn't Alex have to put down one of the cleaning ladies or something, or she sees a ghost cleaning lady? I can't remember. Maxim Maximilian also fights something in the lobby. Well, Ma- Max is definitely oh right, actually in the house itself. Yeah, I'm not sure. Isn't there a moment where there's the stained glass window again at the end of the corridor and one of the bone thieves breaks it down yeah, after you yeah, find yeah. a little letter down the side of the wall? That's right, I yeah. Do you remember that being earlier on? Yeah, that's right. Uh, also, yeah, during the, the, the section with the vampirish monster, you can't save during that whole time either because there's a, there's a monster present in the house. So if, like me, you decided to have a break at that point, tough, you can't. <laughs> uh, so... The ancient city of Engar is below the mansion, as previously established, uh, and Edward Roivas uh, realises, comes across uh, underneath the, the mansion, that if he finds a sort of giant power circle, which is the same stuff as you're carrying about in your book, uh, which enable you to channel the magic of these ancient gods and say the names of runes and do, do damage and stuff, he realises that uh, if he casts a massive dispel magic spell via this huge power circle he'll purge the city and he does he, he succeeds doesn't he but he doesn't properly succeed and th- th- this was another bit that confused me slightly because you end up having so this is 1952 but you end up having to do this again with Alex in 2000 yeah again the story here is just for me like oh, okay I'm just back here it was um yeah like I said earlier it's just sort of me just wanting to push forward and just just to see it all happen and I couldn't really piece together why I just assumed that he didn't do it properly, like when you, because yeah. it's it's essentially a nine-point power rune, isn't it? And yes, and you know he's done it wrong, and you're there. Pius to does it. say, I think, in the cutscene, talking to his uh, his god again. These cutscenes will obviously vary; they're voiced by different people, and they have different coloured, glowy bits. Uh, he does say, "Oh well, you know there are there are or maybe maybe the." Maybe Zelatas said the god or whatever. Um, there are more, you know, there are more guardian cities. We can make more guardians, kind of thing. So it doesn't, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah. The difference is with the final fight that the actual gods themselves get summoned. So yeah, it's a different spell. That that does kind of make sense. Any memories of Edward's final chapter before he gets uh, bumped off um, forty-eight years later in his own home by a by a monster? I hated it. Sweet. Actually hated it. I don't like any level in any game where it's uh, the process of sort of progression in such a sort of mundane fashion as it, obviously you've got the nine point rune and each rune requires you to do a different thing, but 
all those things are actually quite boring. You go to so a tower like and then come left, back through yeah. a room, yeah, yeah. And then walk all the way back, and then you end up just looping around with a ridiculous amount. I didn't of mind it, about. but there were too many. I think, like, I actually quite like the, the sense of progression of activating one node and then doing it and then coming back. I actually, I found that satisfying, and, and it takes away some of the anxiety of getting lost in a maze, which is a lot of the other maps. However, yeah, nine nine prongs is just too many. Yeah, I agree with that. But it's not just the prong. I mean, the prongs are one facet of it, but you, then you come back to these rooms and you still have to take down, like, shield doors or kill a particular Yeah, I'm, include, I'm including in, that in my nine prongs what? is too many, sort of. Yeah, so some of those monsters were pretty hard. It's one of the chapters where they really start to throw many, many things at you. And you know, if you if you know the layout there of the underground city, you can actually just run past them yeah, and, yeah. and get through it. But quite often, they're they're you know they're keys to doing something, uh, opening up a door, and you have to go ahead. Um, and yeah, I, I I remember a bit of a car. Where it, it kind of just it it outstayed its welcome. Time you got to number nine, you're like, okay, I'll just do number nine. Yes, yeah, fine, we're through here at last. Yeah. And and especially on some of the uh, the sort of zoomed out camera angles where you might not notice in, in the murky graphics a trapper who will then send you to the trapper dimension and yeah. <laughs> so you have to do that. And, uh, I mean, they're easy to kill. but He had a real stamina problem as well, which meant that you couldn't even run through one room. You'd get through half the room before he'd start gasping for air. Yeah, very true. Um, I think he probably had the lowest stamina of all the characters. What, so, did Darren, did you select the wrong runes? Yeah, it was just a bit of a... I th- I, again, I just didn't really know what was going on. And I, this is probably my <laughs> ignorance at this point of just this game just outstaying its welcome. You, you know what it's like when you're playing a game and you're just like, oh, come on, just yeah, yeah. just let it finish. So yeah, it was just, it was partly my ignorance. and You weren't thinking about what spell you needed to cast. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I, fortunately at the end, the end game one, you can't do it wrong, I don't think. Uh, but this one... If you're not actually concentrating on what he says, then yeah, you can very easily uh, just select the wrong runes and not cast the dispel magic spell. Cast something else completely. Most of the most of the uh, prongs, what are they called? I can't remember. Um, they're like towers, aren't they? Yeah, they're towers. Most of them uh, you can only assign the power rune anyway, which is uh, which is uh, a magnification, you know, amplification of the spell, and you use that. But yes, you do need to select the right ones. Yeah, it doesn't. It, I mean, it, it's, I think it explains it once how to amplify your spells, but you know, I kind of like, yeah, 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 okay. And then once I got to that screen, I was like, oh no, how do I do this? <laughs> and then kind of like just read, worked it out myself. And and then I thought, well, mate, do you have to do something different for your other spells? And they never really explained that. And I think a lot of that stuff you do just, you know, you work out, okay, I need these two because that's what this is made of. Uh, so that happens. Yes, then he uh, he he does he does pretty much do the right thing, but it's only really just uh, pissing in the wind. Um, dropping the ocean in terms of dealing with the uh, the pressing matter of Pius uh, summoning his his particular god. Um, so back to the mansion. Uh, something about uh, opening a safe with a stethoscope at this point, um, which is all right. That's uh, right. Yeah, it's they did it quite simply. They could have made it a lot harder. I I, I reckon it's a lot harder in real life to open a, a safe with a stethoscope than than that the game made it. Um, so yes, uh, sorry, I, I said he was an American earlier. He's a Canadian firefighter, Michael Edwards, in '91. This is a bit where it sort of explains that this is why these things, significant things, keep happening during wartime. So this is, uh, yeah, the Middle East or Kuwait after the Gulf War, uh, and uh, um, I think he's in a chopper, isn't he? And he, and, um, is he, in a, is he? Yeah, he's uh, he's dropped out of a chopper and he ends up 
exploded in the Forbidden City and trapped underground uh, with all kinds of uh, the usual monsters, really. Um, uh, he he meets the he meets Roberto again, doesn't he? Because this is where yeah, the, who, who was yeah, part yeah. of the Tower of of Corpses, um, and he hands on one of the the crucial items. There are the the three essences of the the gods, uh, red, blue, and green. Um, Chaturga, Ulioth, and Zelatath. Uh, these are needed for Alex to to fight the final battle. Um, yeah, and we we talked a little bit about this one already. So, what made it your favourite, Carl? I quite enjoyed the change of pace. Uh, you obviously straight out of the first room, you you find a soldier's backpack, which contains a pistol, a rifle, rifle ammo, pistol ammo, torch, grenades, and grenades. Yeah. Um, and Basically, as soon as you equip the assault rifle, which comes with what, 450, 500 rounds, mm. you just become godly. You, you just, <laughs> you know, one bullet takes heads off zombies and you just sort of run through it. And it's quite a good job that I enjoyed this one because I completed the level and died immediately in between the scenes and lost all of that level uh, and yeah. half of the level before. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I had to complete the level again. Save your uh, game. That's uh, yeah. yeah. Less, uh, you know, it's one of those things. You do it once, you go lesson learnt, and then it's not actually the case. You do it. Once. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then, finally, for the last time, back to Alex. This was always going to happen. Uh, the the interlinking um, sections were always going to. It was always going to end up with Alex going down below the Rhode Island mansion and seeing the city and ultimately dealing with it. The timing is magnificent, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. as is always the thing um, with these kinds of games. Uh, so she has to use the giant circle of power apparatus, uh, not only not only not to do the, the dispel magic spell, but she actually decides that she has to summon the rival ancient god to the one that Pius is uh, summoning so they can kick each other in in space, which is pretty cool. <laughs> So um, that is this forms the the the, the, the FMV cutscenes which surround the final battle. So the actual the final battle between Alex and Pius is pretty kind of it's one of those slightly comical chase me battles, isn't it? Um, but it's interspersed with these FMVs of uh, which are badly cut together, by the way, with massive yeah. massive sticky pauses in between each one as it decides which gods you're playing as um of enormous uh yeah cthulhu style uh intergalactic beyond dimensional amorphous space entities uh fighting it out um to for the right to enslave earth uh anything to say about this i found this quite annoying again right. boss annoying battle with unskippable cutscenes. Well, bear in mind as well, you've done another nine-point spell, the exact the same thing you've done, only a chapter well, Yes, chapters yeah, so you have to do that again. Um, the, oh, yeah, I love that. The rooms the rooms are, are remixed, um, and like the main corridor has now got hurty yellow field in it, so you have to cast a oh, shield spell every time you go through, otherwise your animation gets staggered, and you can't even it's die. Really, they couldn't come up with a whole new 
idea for this. It was literally you going back into this room and go, oh, I gotta do this nine point spell again. No, it's a different <laughs> spell. It's a different spell. You're summoning. I know it's a different you're spell. You're summoning Chaturga. The same technique. Yeah, the game. The gameplay is much the same. There are some new puzzles though, aren't there? So like, you have to demonstrate your expertise of all the magics you've gathered throughout the game in the rooms yeah. now, rather than just running through or, or hitting someone. Right. So you have to summon three monsters and put them on pedestals and stuff like that. So they, they did make some attempts to make I it I think it was a different. better nine point spell than the first nine point spell. It was a more interesting way to actually do it because you actually yeah. used a lot of your new abilities. So I think, yeah. Plus, but it was just like really... Plus you're summoning an interdimensional ancient Which god. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Did anyone find it odd that during that level, despite the fact two levels before, when the nine point went off, you got an almighty explosion? that the only damage it did were a few cracks <laughs> on the odd bridge, a bit of rubble here or there, like next to no damage, despite the fact it was like an atom bomb going off. I suppose it was kind of, yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, I guess it's those pre-rendered backgrounds. <laughs> they should have, should have redrawn them more, but yes. It's terrible. Yes. But the final boss fight is is pretty generic. I'm, I'm glad it, was, it wasn't really frustrating. I, I like the fact that, um, you know, ancients from the past... Uh, were summoned by your side as like ghostly forms to to also help you out in the battle. That's a nice little touch. Yeah, um, so you 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 sort of play briefly as a spirit version of all the previous, or not all the previous, mm-hmm. but all the previous characters in the game who have uh, who have died at the hands uh, during the handing down of all these items and artifacts to get to this point where Pius is trying to summon his god, and and you end up summoning the counter god. But yeah, pretty much it's a run round the back of. Pius, wait for him to uh, start his swing animation and then hit him over the head. <laughs> um, and I actually, I had a few problems with this because I didn't realise that I, I I was not confident that I ever had the pro- the time to heal, so I did die a couple of times. Um, also, I had a did, crash. Uh, did you not have the enchanted sword? Yeah, the enchanted sword, yeah. yeah. Oh, because you can just attack him from a range with that. It like throws at him and then appears back in. Yeah, I heard about that afterwards. I had no idea that that you could do that. Um, does that work with the the spirit characters as well? Uh, no, with the spirit characters you have to run up. Because the problem I was mainly the... having was with Max and Bianchi, who are very fat and slow. It was actually hard to get him to initiate his swipe to Pius's animation, and then nip round the back before taking a little bit of damage. But uh, yeah, I did. I just ran past Pius and hit the little symbol thing. I thought you had to hit him yeah. to you have to hit him to get him to reveal his rune, which you eventually smash. But then no, you you hit him with the enchanted sword as Alex, and then you just keep hitting the rune with oh, all probably, the spirits. I was probably hitting him too often then. <laughs> That's probably <Yeah>. my problem. <laughs> I did it in the end anyway. Obviously, uh, did you ever die in that battle? Yes. Yes. Did you ever find it annoying that it it's the one time in the game it asks you to save before you enter the battle? Yes. And then every time you enter the battle you get the unskip, unskippable yeah. cutscenes for about four <laughs> minutes. Absolutely, yeah. I died I well, I died at least two times, maybe three times, and I had the game crash on me again with the error message. So yeah, that of was course. that was pretty fucking annoying. So and, infuriating. Uh, and there's a game there's a there's a one off uh, game over screen as well. So you have to sit through that as well. So yeah. yeah awesome. And your prize for completing it is the ability to skip cutscenes on your next playthrough. Yes, I noticed that. I, I did start up the next game just to see. Um, I was pleased to see you can't accidentally select the same alignment again. <laughs> they have actually removed 
removed that uh, that possibility. So yeah, no checkpoints, no unskippable cutscenes, but uh, but ancient interdimensional god on ancient interdimensional god action. Um, now, so famously, the the thing about this game is that to see the true ending, you have to play it through three times with each once with each alignment on the same save, which you save after the game. Um, I would never have done this. No, even if it was 2002 and I had only one video game and it was Eternal Darkness, <laughs> I would never have played through this three times. Um, I just don't do that. I, it's just not, there's not enough of interest. There's not enough variety going on. There, there would have been the the Chapter 9 Guardian boss, which would have been different. And there would have been the memory that, remembering that you had to use different uh, colours to counteract different colours. Uh Twice would be pushing it three times. Uh, I think I'd rather take up a different hobby. Um, the game just not good enough to warrant that, I'm afraid. The ultimate reward, I've watched it on YouTube, is a cutscene which is explaining that what you've done is you've played the game across three parallel dimensions. So that's that's how it that's how it works. The idea is that you have simultaneously in three different dimensions summoned uh, all the gods so they all kick each other in simultaneously and all they all dispel each other so red gets rid of green, green gets rid of blue and blue gets rid of red I think um, meanwhile and also Mantarok becomes uh, Mantarok wins basically um, but he still exists even at the end of the true ending Mantarok's still there plotting underneath um, the Earth, the Middle East, wherever he is. Um, my main problem with that as a story thing is why are there? It, it talks about there are th- there are multiple parallel universes. So why does why does three count? Why is it why is it only three parallel universes? God, <laughs> it's just hurting my brain thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> there'd surely there'd be like a number of permutations that happen. Like yeah, not not just three. There'd be all sorts of. You know, at the end, it wouldn't just be three different fights, would there? There'd be loads of different ones. I, yeah, um, I realise it's symbolic and everything, but but it, it yeah, it uh, it's it's certainly not worth playing the game through three times for that revelation. And you, and you would think then they would really change up a lot of what happens in their games. I mean, yes, there's the different boss fight, but if you took a different alignment, they should really change entire uh, room layouts or just you know something. I, it's yeah. pretty to ask I'm, I'm sure to, to say to develop a world for a 15 hour game uh, yeah, to turn I mean, it to a f- well I guess not 45 hours because you would be quicker through second and third times but I find second and third times doing puzzles way more annoying than the first time because if you can't remember it's like why can't I remember this I know I've done yeah. this already so uh, yeah bollocks to that frankly uh, so we should bring in our correspondence from the forum at this point a handful this week uh, Lord and Master of the Character Select Network, Dan Benden says, I freaking loved this game. The shit they pulled on player was outstanding. And that bathtub bit. Shudder. Crayman Edge. It's one I kept meaning to play again. Uh, as I never finished this on GameCube, unfortunately, the closest I've ever come to this is storing a GameCube controller in the same location as my Wii stuff. Still, that's a step in the right direction. Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Papa Blingo says... I know many people love this game, but even at the time I thought it was clunky to the point of being unplayable. I love the concept, but its execution was a real letdown. I think unplayable is very strong. But uh... Michael Eddy eighty three said, 
I've just completed the game for the first time. It's been a mostly fun experience. Some cryptic puzzles, one quite difficult boss fight in Chapter 9, and unfortunately too few scares outside of the aforementioned bath scene, though I enjoyed the sanity effects and felt I might have enjoyed the game a little more if I'd succumbed to insanity and hadn't dead space stomped every enemy I came across. <laughs> I didn't have any problems with the visuals, the sound effects were great, I rarely heard anything that really resembling music, the story was engaging and the majority of the chapters were interesting, even if I felt all characters except the firefighter Rambo guy were pretty often unlikely protagonists. I also appreciate the widescreen and 60Hz that make playing this 10 years later an enjoyable playthrough. Had the game come out before the Resident Evil remake, I'd probably have been more likely to play it back in 2002. As it is, it's not my favourite GameCube game, but it comes close enough. Mm. I think Mike Leddy, 83 a new correspondent, sums that up very well. But uh, let's have our sum-ups. Uh, let's go back to Darren, who played it at the time and played it again now. What are your thoughts now and then, and would you recommend it? Um, I wouldn't recommend it over the Resident Evil remake, and I say that because they they sort of tread the same sort of patterns of gameplay. You know, wander around a room, examine bits and bobs, and solve puzzles. Um, I I would recommend uh, I recommend parts of it. Like the, the insanity <laughs> effects are obviously the high point. You know what I mean? So, so seeing those, it tricked me even now. I mean, I had the brightest button in the box, but still, it's just like. <laughs> Like, oh god, that actually got me. Like the inventory disappearing, like we said earlier, got me. And that's the high point. I I enjoyed the combat. I thought the melee weapons were were really well done. Like games like Silent Hill never do melee combat well at all. And Eternal Darkness was just like it, you might might be a little bit overpowered with the fact you can just lock their heads off and watch them fight each other. Um, but yeah, the story was just uh, I, I didn't get on with it at all. It, I think Lovecraftian fans would appreciate it more than I did. I'd never even really heard of Lovecraft until recent years so the, the whole the whole thing was just over my head uh, especially 10 years ago god I, I don't think I remember anything other than the bath tub scene from 10 years ago <laughs> um, yeah it's just it's a weird one it's uh, it, it has its good points it has its, its low points um, but um, oh, I, I don't know I'm in the middle I'm in the middle somewhere It's <laughs> it's got some good gameplay conceits and I would Nah, I, I can't recommend it in the end. I can't. It's, it's just too long and um, a, a bit of a chore near the end. Okay. Carl? It's an interesting one. I'd recommend it to people who want to see what all the hype is about, what all the talk is about, and just what it's influenced after. The downside is, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it came you know, a matter of months after Silent Hill 2, which is definitely a better game, if not the greatest in its genre ever made. Uh, of course, that's just been released in a HD collection, so that would definitely benefit anybody who's you know, newer to the scene of that kind of game. It is a long game. It's definitely benefited by the fact that it's broken down into 12 chapters, which can sort of be popped in and out of. The story's neither here nor there. The combat's pretty solid, although at times, and I hate the word, but it's probably the best one to describe it, which is clunky. Mm -hmm. uh, targeting can be a bit odd if you want to quickly swap between areas if you get swarmed by enemies it becomes frustrating because you can't quickly switch in and out uh, as mentioned bone thieves will jump on you and that just, be, just starts to drive you mad but the insanity effects are interesting and you do see things that this game did 10 years ago in games even now and you think oh maybe that's where it came from and you can certainly see why people are pushing for a sequel Tony um I I admire its ambition um, even more so 10 years ago uh, I think it 
it tried to engage the player with a very, you know, I think, quite a complex story. Something with twelve different uh, characters playing through multiple time periods, which I, I, I think I enjoyed the switch in the time period. I thought that was really interesting. I mean, this the sanity effects were actually probably quite groundbreaking ten years ago, um, but that kind of stuff's been kind of done to death now. Uh, breaking the third, you know, the fourth wall. Um, but if it comes to recommending it, I, I look at that. You know, nine out of ten, ten out of ten review scores across the board on, on Metacritic, and you know, even back then, I I can't see why this game um, would uh, would I don't know uh, land such such scores because I I think the the combat's really rudimentary. I think overall the story is very rudimentary. Um, the graphics, you know, although maybe okay at the time, you know, they're they're not particularly amazing. Uh, I found my my fourteen to fifteen hours worth of playing it actually quite a struggle um if i wasn't playing it for for kane and rinse i probably wouldn't have have got to the end of it um if i'm honest um which is odd because i think there's games you know we've seen we've gone back to metal gear solid which you know has the same high review scores from from back in you know in the time and i think it it deserves every single one of them i you know it stands up in gameplay and story and all that kind of stuff and i just don't think eternal darkness does i mean it, it, it struggles it feels like it's struggling every step of the way, and as a player, I felt like I was struggling uh, to to care about it because I wasn't engaged with with a lot of what was on show, other than the sanity effects, which you know, ultimately after a while, even they start to wear thin. So I don't, I, I honestly couldn't, like Darren, I don't think I could recommend somebody go out and and stick it in a GameCube and play this over a million other titles that you know I would put before you know in front of it, and you know a million other titles in Kane Rinse already that we put in front of it. So I'm a little bit lost of of why it's it's become this massive cult classic, if I'm honest. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be that harsh about it, although you know, I think the the right word is ambition. I do think people like that about it and I think it is probably hard to assess it now in terms of how ambitious it was for the time and even more so that it was originally planned to be an N64 game uh, which would have you know been on a cartridge which had considerably less data on it and they would have had less polygons to play with there probably would have been no FMV if, if, if maybe a tiny bit and whatever um, I don't think the graphics have aged at all well it doesn't look very good um, the combat as you say, is rudimentary. Um, but I do think, for me, as somebody who is interested in that Lovecraft thing and does like the genre, survival horror and arcade adventure, if you just want to call it that, because it's not, this is not a very scary game, um, I think it tells a good yarn and, uh, and it has some quite cool puzzles. Um, it does outstay its welcome. Um, and yes, if it came out now, if an HD remake came out now, and I don't think, um, I mean, this sort of is an HD remake anyway of an N64 game, if you want to look at it like that, uh, it would not review very well at all. Um, people would still highlight the sanity effects as the sort of standout feature. Um, but yeah, it, it's not aged as well as some of the games we've covered, but yes, if you're a, if you're a fan of horror and or Lovecraft and related things, um, it's it's sort of interesting. I'm glad I played it though because it is definitely one of those ones that have been on my list yeah, for same here. many years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've like I said, I've had many copies, and to to finally actually sit down and say I can tick that off the, you know, the gaming yes. repertoire was actually quite important. I think in many respects. Yeah, same here. I've had it in, on my shelf for the best part of a decade and, and not completed it. So mm-hmm. to have finally done so, there's a, there's that little tiny weight off your bat you get until you look at your uncompleted games list and realise it was just a drop <laughs> in the ocean. But Never mind. 
Three word reviews. We got three of them. That's all. Uh, Moose Grinder. Utterly fucking bonkers. Lord Mutley. Game altering tricks. And Geen82, who originally came in with a two word review until I chastised him, came back with wacky campy fun. <laughs> this is not the way I describe it at all, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, before we sign off, I suppose we should talk about the possibility, the potential of a sequel. Uh, apparently, over the years, Dennis Dyack, designer, um, who dedicated the the first game to his his late father, I noticed at the end, which is quite sweet, oh. um, has said that he'd like to make it. Uh, he said it more than once over the years. Multiple yeah. times, yeah. Um, obviously, there's still stories to be told unless... Yeah, I mean, even even if you take the, the true ending as the ending, it ends up with, with Mantorok still, still somehow clinging onto life and, and considering his chances of ruling all dimensions as a uh, some kind of dictatorial evil spiritual god thing entity uh, Nintendo still have the license is that right is their IP so this would have to be Silicon Knights by Nintendo could Nintendo did Nintendo own it to the point that they could give it to another developer and really upset Silicon Knights <laughs> I know there's another game I can't quite think what it is but I know that Nintendo do tend to keep a vice like grip on their products yeah um, I, I know they kept Perfect Dark for the longest time um, in that it eventually got released on Xbox 360 about four years after it was originally rumoured yeah. so I assume there's probably wiggle room but I, Nintendo do like to keep stuff Well and it's a game that didn't you know, although critically reviewed very well it didn't sell amazingly um, but cult classics you know, I think once they've been re- or remade I think it there's a lot of buzz around them because you know the critical praise is there. Uh, it's it's odd because obviously what he spent like nine years doing too human, <laughs> so you know that yeah. that man was obsessed with that game for a very long time. And when you look through through his you know the catalogue of Cynical Knights, then yeah, I I think Eternal Darkness is the one that jumps out. But um, I, does it play now? I think there's been so many games that have have used the the tricks that Eternal Darkness had up its sleeves now, um, and probably to better effect. So. You know, I'd be interested. I probably would play a sequel to it just to see, you know, what they would do because I think they would really, you know, sit very heavily on on those tricks. And with modern day era technology, I think they could make it really uh, insane because there's not enough of the, I, I like to call them the Kojima isms in in gaming. You know, you can messing around with the player. So I think if a game kind of almost based around that would be quite good. Given how Eternal Darkness is, uh, Silicon Knights critically best received game and given how mm-hmm. we've all just said that it doesn't really stand up in many ways and stuff like that <laughs> um, I suppose well maybe maybe Twin Snakes is up there I think it's actually slightly lower in the overall review scores but that's someone's else's two, IP yeah though. okay um, Too Human um, I've never played it but I gather it's sort of interesting but flawed um, and then all, they, all the other thing they've done since then is X-Men Destiny um, so if this IP does stay alive would they even be the best developer to do something with it? I know it's obviously Dennis Dyack's thing and he came up with the the version of Lovecraft's story that he told within it. But, um, you know, they came up with the characters and that you actually play and stuff. Um, but I imagine, you know, mate, Silicon Knights, I don't know, they're not exactly what you call a safe pair of hands, are they? I think the most damning thing is that you can look at it and you'd think, 
there are a good 90% of studios around the world that could at least match what they've done if with a sequel or perhaps even going as far as you know a, a full-on remake which would with filling in the gaps and you know fleshing it out especially with over the last 10 years the the, the leaps and bounds we've made in storytelling and Combat. you know immersive experiences and yeah well i don't know you play silent hill downpour well, and you, yeah, you i was thinking more <laughs> perhaps of, not come thinking that more far. of the good game dead space and stuff like that you know if, if it was eternal darkness remade in the dead space engine with those with with that stuff going on that you know that sounds that sounds pretty cool oh yeah i, I could see um with nintendo's you know, new approach of whatever they're going to be doing the wii u you know or whatever it's going to be called in the future but uh, i can see them um, it, it would be quite nice for the tablet thing messing around with that with the, with the player doing certain things uh and, and hdfi I, I think you know they could get some leverage if they wanted to go with a more adult ip but it, it's not really the nintendo that we We've started to know now, isn't it? It's it seems it would seem a long shot if they need to green light a project that they they feel like a oh, well this game that didn't sell particularly well but was re- well received. I think it'd be more Dennis Dyack himself pushing for it rather than Nintendo. I was just going to say, even if it did come onto the Wii U, I don't necessarily think that a sequel or a full remake or what what whatever they would do in the works would necessarily bring people to that console necessarily. You know, the, the Wii U be whatever it is, whichever way it decides to be marketed. Eternal Darkness, whilst popular and iconic, isn't really a major title. Certainly not. No, anymore. it would have to be getting, you know, Edge Tens and whatever for people to pay any attention to actually consider buying a machine for it. I really can't see when there are so many great alternatives to this kind of game on the other machines that it would be a system seller or anything like that far from it absolutely it'd be more for Dennis Dyer to reclaim some of his kind of you know credibility yeah, very true. on yeah. the project that actually yeah. succeeds Darren any thoughts on a sequel you interested or is that enough Eternal Darkness for you <laughs> um, I, I think from this previous two hours yeah I'm, 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 I'm over it I'm, sort of, I'm glad I replayed it but I, I, yeah, I don't really want to see that exact mechanical like style of game uh, in in my hands again to be honest I no I don't think it would like be that, that mechanical though it, it wouldn't be the same mechanics if they did it again I mean you could it, yeah. it, it would uh, I guess we're talking imagine a contemporary game in the same Cthulhu rip, rip off mythos uh, with you know modern graphics and modern gameplay sensibilities oh, yeah, the game's kind of episodic so I was wondering if they did do a sequel maybe they could do like a telltale type thing and do <laughs> Maybe like an interactive point-and-click game, sort of like the Walking Dead thing. That's, that they've got that's at the a moment, great idea. I think that's a superb idea. Mm. They could do like a point-and-click style adventure game with it and totally mess with the player at the same time mm. and plot them out once a month. You know what I mean? I, I, I can see that quite working well for the uh, for, for the series because that's how it's that's how it's um you know laid out in front of you, like you know yeah. this chapter and then you move on to the next chapter and stuff like that. But then at the same time, if they can't get the license back from Nintendo, if that's what the if that's what the case is, then maybe they take some of the ideas from Eternal Darkness and create a whole new thing, yeah. and hopefully, spit out a good a survival horror game. Good shot. And just put from the creators of Eternal Darkness on the box, not from the creators of Eternal Darkness and Two Human. <laughs> hey, if if I'm being honest, I'd rather play Two Human again. Oh, that, wow! That's that. Well, did I just shock the room? <laughs> So if you're one of those people who would like to play along with the show so you can listen in and not worry about spoilers, here are some of the future issues we've got lined up. 
uh, with more to be confirmed. Uh, the next show is that game company. So Flow, Flower and Journey. You can easily finish those before uh, you listen to the show. Bullet Storm after that. The following issue will be Vessel and Dear Esther. Two different games. Uh, following that, it's back to Metal Gear Solid with Sons of Liberty, Metal Gear Solid 2, and in about a month's time after that, Metal Gear Solid 3, Solid Snake. As I say, more shows to be confirmed. Naturally, this being a podcast, your support for us via iTunes subscriptions and ratings and reviews, it's all graci- gra- graciously appreciated. Our blog is at um, uh where we host uh, reviews, features and uh, videos. Uh, the latest quick rinse, as I like to call them, is uh, is Trackmania 2. And we've got a review of Binary Domain. And, um, yeah, I did an article about going silver on Xbox Live, which which is, uh, yeah, which went down pretty well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a host of many interesting articles of which you can view with your eyeballs. <laughs> Beautiful. Kane and Rinse is part of the Character Select Network. Come and join the discussion at characterselect.net slash forum, or you can follow us on Twitter at Rinse. Of course, you can like us on Facebook, which is at facebook.com forward slash Rinse. And if you have any comments from previous shows or stuff, if you definitely want to email us about the shows that we do in the future, have you know some longer comments other than free word reviews, you can email us at canerinse at gmail.com. Well, this podcast having been almost as eternal as the darkness itself, thanks for hanging on, listeners just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins, Darren Gargett and Carl Moon and we'll see you again naturally for another issue next week until then, here's some spooky music